Okay, okay, I'm ready. Are you? I think I think I can do this. Let me see if I could just do a full screen here. That's not enough. Let's go. Bam. That worked. Kind of. Okay. Jason, I'm going to play this. Let me just play it. All right, here you go. Dying in a hospital is not what's natural. That's not what's soft. In these kind of moments, you need softness. question what are they advertising jason this is why it's important to read sci-fi because that is straight out of a a of a sci-fi novel i mean that's that's like a a here's what's wrong with the world sci-fi novel 
that is where, where the where the government's trying to convince you that it's a good thing that they are killing you. Yeah. And so you volunteer to walk into the gas chamber. That is a Canadian um, company, Simon's uh, fashion designers and all that. And they, okay. And so they put together this ad for Jennifer, I guess. Um, uh, Man. And it's assisted suicide ad. So here's what's, here's what's crazy. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Do, do they, do they offer assisted suicide services? No. No, 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 no. They 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 just are promoting That's crazy. <laughs> okay, so check this out. This now this happens the same time in Canada. So that's going on in in Okay, I'll get to this in a second. Um so then there's this veteran in Canada who is trying to get a lift for her house. And she's going back and forth with Canadian government on this lift. And she asked them, hey, can I get and she's having a hard time. And I think one of the guys who's working with her says, well, we can offer you maid, which is a medical assisted um, death uh, it, as an alternative, since this is such a problem. That's also an option for you. And so he offered this to her now. Because they don't want to pay for it. <laughs> well, to be fair, Justin Trudeau condemned this and assisted death is usually only given to people who are have imminent death or who those are suffering and could possibly die from their suffering. So it is looked at as a kindness. My only thought, no, not only, there's a couple thoughts I have. One of them, Jason, is that you can't, there are no reins to this. Once you open. There's no breaks. No. There's no breaks on that. Why, why can't, train. why can't he offer her that option? If it is a reality that, hey, you know, this is a problem for you, isn't it? Like this is like you you might not come out of this. OK. And you know what? It is expensive to get this in. It's going to cost a lot of money. You know what? Why don't you consider now? We're not forcing you. Why don't you consider, right. you know, a cheaper option <laughs> in all of this? Right. And 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 help us all in helping you. And then you don't have to deal with this. And those stairs won't ever be a hassle for you ever again. And, and so here's here was my only thought. I'll, I'll kick it to you. And, and this wasn't where I wanted to spend our whole conversation, but I think it's important when assistant when when worldviews have made their way into your design of clothing and the art in which it wants to portray art arts period, you've lost. It, it, it doesn't even have to get to the point where they got people doing it yet. They, now, they do because this lady decided to kill herself, assisted suicide, and everybody's having a party around it to try and make something really, really beautiful that's not at all. Um, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and so – And I don't know if you noticed. Um, bunch of women and guys. It's, <laughs> a bunch of women. And, um, I mean, it is Canada. But it's also a bunch of white people too. I don't think I don't think you're seeing this in the in uh, black neighborhoods. Look, when when I've always said there's a couple, I always said there's a couple things to know when black people really kind of have like you you don't have any more problems. One of them is when they start shooting up schools and and doing like public shootings. It's like we ain't got time for that. We got so many other things to do with. We ain't running around here trying to shoot up everything except, right. for, our, except for our own right. hood. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's the only thing that we probably go shoot up. But whenever we have that or whenever you have, you know, 
people, black people are like, you know what? I just want to kill myself. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, you've arrived. There's no more oppression that you have to deal with ever anywhere in this world. Whatever you got those two things running for you. You want to run around, start shooting up schools. Cause out of all the fights that we had in school and all the stuff that we had to go through in school and the community, one of the things we didn't do was walk, walk up in our school and just start shooting people because they was talking about us. We might fight them. We might do right. that. Would, but when you start doing that, you didn't reach white status. Like, you all right, you know what? You got to the point where you get on all these medications and you need to go shoot up a school you have reached white status that you're there you're you're a full american all in there's nothing that's all regards to you anymore and then when you go around and start just like you know what i'm gonna go to a mall and just start shooting up everybody i'm gonna go i'm gonna go to walmart and just start shooting up everybody it's just like well you know what you can take yourself off the oppressed list that's not you anymore <laughs> right well i think the the uh, the it it's that I think you start talking about like uh, oppression um, is is a weird it gives you a weird spot but it, it gives you a spot in the world <laughs> even if it's a bad spot right you 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 know where you sit and I think that's one of the reasons so many people are trying to claim oppression right now is because then they actually they're not floating along disconnected from reality. They, they know where they fit into the order of things, That's a good point. even if it's not the place they want. Um, that, that is that ad basically says, look, when you're honest, you don't have a spot in this world. Mm-hmm. You don't fit anywhere. Right. So she says, I've, I've filled my heart with beauty. I filled my, right. that's what you say if it didn't work. <laughs> mm. right? you, the, because you're abstracting beauty as if it's, you know, um, I filled my heart with nature. Right? That's, that's what it sounds like to have failed to find a place in the world. Cause right? beauty doesn't and so do now that. you're like, yeah, beauty doesn't do that. And it, you, you don't, if you abs like, um, the, uh, you know, I, I know we're, we plan on talking about Milton a little bit. Milton specifically talks about um, where be- how beauty connects you to something that's beautiful, and then the connection to that thing. It's not the beauty in abstract. Beauty is the means by which um, Adam connected with Eve uh, and and discovered actually something deeper. Than the beauty, right? That that. But if you try to abstract the beauty into a thing that you connect with directly, it's yeah. like it's like licking the door rather than walking through it into the house, right? So, <laughs> can I just, like, oh, look at that door. It's uh, that it, that could get me in. That that could get me into a place, and then hug, then sitting there hugging the door the oh, whole the time door and so never good. going. Into the house. I love the door. The door yeah. is great. Love you know the when you talked about being connected, I was talking to my my oldest daughter she's 15 and we were talking about my wife and I were sitting down it's you got to talk man you got to talk to your kids if people yeah. don't people don't talk to their kids they really i mean especially if, i don't think you should be sending your kids to government school but if you're sending your kids away from you um uh, to any school christian i don't care what it is you need to be talking to your kids 
The, yeah. the school is not a supplement for family. People have to really, really remember that in every way. And I think it's easy for us to do that because we know that they have good foundations. They have the good direction that they're going with the school. We believe we're grateful for that. But then we neglect to do our parently duty, parently duty with our kids and parent our kids. <laughs> we think we let the school still parent our right. kids, even though we send them to Christian schools. But, um, we, I was talking with my daughter. We always, you know, dinner time is kind of our family worship time. That whole setup is really, really rich for us. And we were talking about how her generation experiences music. And it was fascinating because I hadn't really paid much attention to it. You know, when you and I were growing up, Jason, it, we could not experience mu- music by ourselves. It wasn't something that we did. We went and got an album or we got a cassette tape or we got, you know, Walkmans were kind of the real revolutionary thing that allowed you to experience music by yourself. It was, you know, you didn't have music was on records. You experienced it with people. It was loud, auditory. So you had to have speakers in a room and environment to experience music. And when you experienced it, you didn't just hear it in your headset with the yeah. with vibrations in your head, you felt them through the speakers in auditory sense in a room. So it bounced off the room, it bounced off of people, and emotions were generated in that room with other people. When you went and got the new, you know, whatever record you were listening to, it's the, you know, it's a new, you know, Destiny Child's album, or it was a new Boys to Men, yeah, you know, and you would play that with your friends, and you guys together would have this experience with people in the room and the real feeling of the music coming out the speakers. And my daughter was talking about that their generation now experiences music separate from each other with headphones on and then tries to communicate how that felt without actually being in relationship with each other and with the music. And it was fascinating to me because I said, oh, my goodness, these people aren't connected, not in a physical way. They're connected cerebrally. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and my wife started talking about this and she was like, the the way that they connect now is through people discipling them about how they're supposed to feel. And the way that we see that is through reaction videos. I'm going to go outside in the yeah. snow with no clothes on. How's it going to make me feel? And so they're watching a reaction video about how you're supposed to feel when you go outside in the snow or when you get a package or something. How do you? And so they're discipling them. How are you supposed to feel? And they're experiencing this separate from people um, and being discipled how to feel about it. So they have no original feelings on anything. <laughs> this, right. You know, um, they're told how they're supposed to feel. They're told how they're supposed to. And they just. There's no connectedness with this. And and even, even, there's not even like we my family used to Sunday night sit down and watch the Cosby show, the wild right. world, wide world of Disney where we there. You couldn't go to. And I remember asking for a TV for my room and my parents laughing. Right. They're like, that's not how you do TV. Right. Right. Yeah. TV is something we do together. Right. Right. <laughs> and, right. Um, it, like it wasn't, it, it wasn't ever. Uh, and I had some friends that got TVs in their room and my parents were right. Like it wasn't good. It yeah. wasn't a good thing to end up all by yourself in your room all the time. But we have, but we have, um, it's just, that's just the way it, you do it now. I mean, even, um, 
you know, Stranger Things, which was a mass phenomenon, was not something that people watched together. Right. It was something everybody watched and then talked about. Um, you know, I, I mean, I remember my family watching In Living Color together. Um, my family watching America's Funniest Home Videos together, right? We would sit and watch stuff. Together? I mean, probably. Yeah, together. And it was probably too, we probably watched too much TV, but we always did it together. There wasn't. There wasn't multiple TVs to go to split up in split off into, so I think there's a, a a move away from community that the church should just be resisting, right? And and um, res- but resisting by making by uh, making it hard to avoid enjoying one another, right? By like having an um, Having a, a consistent, uh, a consistent fellowship, you know, consistent fellowship on purpose. You know, we, um, <laughs> we, well, I, I, even like Sunday school, right? Like Sunday schools, um, it, it's one of those things where the, that, that becomes a little community. It becomes something important in people's lives um, because they come and they do it together week in and week out. And, you know, we need to just um, we need to basically be we need to be a, a, a place where the neighborhood can be mm. rebirthed out of mm. because we teach people how to be neighbors because um, the neighborhoods are all broken down uh, and they're, they're not functioning the way they should. Just because the families aren't, you know, that's that's the yeah, the families, families aren't, aren't, and so. Can I, but that's something that the the church has done with all sorts of institutions throughout history, right? It, the the institution breaks down, the church rebuilds people that can go out and rebuild those institutions, um, and it sort of rebirths the institution into the world out of itself. Um, you know, it's it's uh-huh. it's done it with a lot of different institutions. I don't think that should be lost. So like when the, the Ro- yeah, like the Roman Empire was the when the Roman Empire fell, you you know, in London, all of a sudden all the judges walked away because there was mm-hmm. no paycheck coming. So they they went to find out, hey, why didn't my paycheck show up? And then they never came back. And so all of a sudden, the only institution standing that could give justice was the church. And so it did that for a little bit until it could rebirth judges back into the world, right? So the civil isn't magistrate we, could be. Isn't that where we got robes from? Like they, that's how we knew was, mm-hmm. that they would yep. the pastors yeah. and the elders wear robes out in public so that they could adjudicate a case. And that's how they, we were able yeah. to identify a judge in society. Well, yeah, it was, it was the, um, it, it was the, 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 uh, robe of authority, um, where it was like, oh, there, the, you have this robe of authority over here, but then there's nobody to put in it because the people that could rightfully wear it were all gone. There was another robe of authority, right? There was a public authority in the church. And so they said, will you do it? And they said, yeah, we'll do it. And you had pastors that were well-versed in the law and ready to do it. And um, that's, that's, so it's, that's why you've got minute, the minister of justice, the minister, you know, that you've got the, the, the overlap in terminology, uh, because every, because pastors and judges both wore robes in the ancient world, um, and in the medieval world in the early medieval world, but the terminology, um, of 
public minister. You uh, at, we've you see that in all sorts of there's it's still in the names that we give to different offices. They're ministry offices. You've got ecclesiastical offices that are given names given to civic offices for that reason. I, so I want to go back to this connectedness for a second. I was when I was talking to my wife and talking to my daughter and we were working through this, the thought hit me. We were talking about music, just the experience of music and art, you know, and, yeah. and I realized that there was a my daughter hadn't heard certain albums yet that I am living through experiencing and talking, having a conversation about that she hasn't been introduced to. And so I'm like, I need to introduce you to these artists and we need to have this experience right now. And I was telling her, like, the way that we used to get around music was we would go grab our CD and everybody would jump in the car. Yeah. So that we could have yeah. this listening oh, yeah. experience, right? And especially if you were a music producer, you were producing music at the time, you would mix in your studio and everything would sound great there. But then you had one true test. You had to put it in the vehicle because that was going to tell you whether or not your stuff smacked or not. And if it didn't smack in the car, you knew you weren't going to have a hit on your hand because that's where people would gather around to listen to music was in their vehicle. That's where they spent most of their time yeah. at was in their vehicle. And so and the other place was like the sound system at home. And it hit me. You can't get a home sound system in stores now. You go to a store, you go to Walmart, you go to Target and they have these little dinky speakers with no body. And they have these these Apple speakers and these Asanos and they're just kind of like speakers that disappear in the room. And they're just some sort of sound that comes from places, but nothing that like rocks the house, you know, nothing. Yeah. we had the kind of speakers that were the size of your head, you know, <laughs> they would, they would stand up from the floor to the ceiling. Well, you know, it had huge house sound systems, right? I inherited my dad's old speakers too, which were big and they were from the late sixties and they, they were the ones that lasted forever and they sounded warm and amazing. And you, they, there was, there, they had, um, a mid range that no, that nothing you could get at the time had because everything was made of plastic. They were right. old wood, all wood metal speakers. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then the, Garage uh, roof collapsed onto them and crushed them, unfortunately, <laughs> in a big Devil. snowstorm back in 2008. Yeah, the devil's like, we can't have these. Um, but the fact that I that you had speakers that you could pass down to your kids, that's not even a thing anymore. So we went and got we we don't have we have a we have a television, but not up in the main part of the house. But we went and got a a, a television surround sound system to play music with for the family. Yeah, because you can't get just, you know, yeah. They don't so, exist. And it's, it's good. Yeah, they don't exist. But we, so, but that, that can play loud enough that you can't talk during the music, which is the goal <laughs> when we put, when we're doing. Well, the, the goal for so me. We, we, as we put music on when we, when we play, when we do the dishes every night, we put music on. We have like a dishes playlist. Um, and, uh, it almost always breaks down into one of the kids standing on the, uh, furniture singing and the rest of them dancing around, you know, like every, um, it's, and when, when one daughter who shall not be named comes home from college, uh, she's the one <laughs> who basically rounds everybody up and it becomes like, uh, like a, like a little rock opera, um, in the living room the, the, <laughs> and the, the dishes, it takes a long time for the dishes to get done, but I don't care that, that's, because that's right. 
yeah, because it's because my kids are enjoying one another, and and, and you know they're, when it, when you say it's time for the dishes, they go all right, and then apple bottom jeans comes on, and they're like, let's go <laughs> boots with the fur. <laughs> boots with the fur. <laughs> that's the first song. That's the first song on our dishes playlist. Oh, we'll talk so they, they, they they love it. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Uh, the, we've listened to that song from uh, I can't remember. There, there's a remake of that song for like the furries or something like that like one of the uh, films and it's like that's the one i'll let you listen to <laughs> okay <laughs> but you know my, my whole point in bringing that up is that there the way that we even experience things the way that we even engage things are so different i i feel like i'm understanding c.s lewis a lot more with his um lack of enjoyment for vehicles right yeah so, you know so you know you think about and, and the reason i'm thinking about this is because this is going to sound weird, but I'm going to turn it here. I think the modernization of everything has created in us a desire for more of a communistic attitude than more of a free man, free market attitude. Okay. And I, said, I know that sounds like a stretch, but let me, let me try and get here. <laughs> um, before in the old world, you would never urbanize yourself. That was asking for a death penalty. You would never go and be in a real urbanized area because if your limitation, and this is all dealing with transportation and C.S. Lewis um, view on transportation, he had, it, this was just part of it that I've observed. This is not all of his argument. It's just what I've observed from his argument. Because of the urbanization of everything, you you had to live off the land, right? And if you couldn't supply New York with enough land around it to feed all those people there, people are going to die. You know, the goods and services yeah. that are in the surrounding area to have this many people in this area without enough land and materials to feed, take care and nurture heat and all that with that, those people, you, you're not going to make it. So what you have to do is you have to find a plot of land, a, a group of people, smaller cities that can sustain that environment. Because you don't have import and export. There is no transportation. There is nothing that you're getting from China. There is nothing that you're getting from South Africa and from Guatemala. You're not getting those goods and services at a, such a high rate because it takes so long for them to get there. So you have to actually be self-sustaining. And so up until the point of transportation, when we started to move things at such a high rate, I mean, the things that we move now on these massive ships with these containers – Constantly back and forth allows for a certain type of urbanization that we would have never seen in the old world, which means and this is how I get to the communist part of this or control of communism in one sense, which means that if you are expecting all of or a large part of your goods and services to come from import and export and not from you being able to sustain yourself from where you're at, that means that all someone has to do is to shut off your import export or to control it from some economic structure that is more difficult to you, and then you're done. And you're oh, you just yeah. you're, you're done. There's no way for you to control that. And and we saw some of this with COVID. Is our supply chains have not even recovered from the right. short period in which they were fractured. It's very sensitive, and yet it's very impactful. But the only reason we're able to have such large cities and this huge form of urbanization is because of the import-export and not because of the things that we are able to sustain from the environment that we're at. Now, I'm, I'm thanking God for all of it. But what happens right. is you're able to be manipulated when everything that you get comes from this source over here. And so China is able to talk to other businesses and others 
in states and countries that, hey, if you don't do this, we don't like this, you don't get that. And so there's a certain sort of bargaining chip that happens that moves you from your principles because you need this in order to survive as a nation, as a, a city, as a state. You need those things. And so there is this point of, of of independence that you don't have anymore, that you don't even understand anymore, that 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 you're not even yeah. that that you take completely for granted. And so you're able to be manipulated because of it. And I think this is why you see when you have like an influencer start getting into the idea of self-sufficiency, they get canceled so quickly because Mm -hmm. self-sufficiency is terrifying in this sort of environment. Right. I give the, 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 um, the need to say, I, it's my job to provide. Um, I, I gotta figure it out. That's scary in an urban environment when you're not used to being able to say like, look, if I get the seeds and put them in the ground, they'll come up. Right. But it's not like that when you're, when you know, you're the seventh, eighth floor in a high rise apartment building, um, the, where you can just say, well, look, worse comes to worse. I can go out and gather mushrooms or, you know, um, I can go out and hunt or something. Um, when you know that's not the case, you need a system that you can rely on. And um, mm. it makes you easy to manipulate if um, in that setting when because somebody comes in and says, I, you know, here's the the system is failing you. Now, it it does sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. The system does sometimes fail. fail. Um, but. It's also easy to say the system has failed you and I will provide a better system. <laughs> and when people are afraid or when people, you know, um, this is one of the things, one of the things that Thomas Chalmers did. He was a, um, a Scottish, uh, minister who he wrote a really great book called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Um, that, you know, he, and he, he went, yeah, George Grant's it's, it's one, of favorites. one of favorites. George Grant yeah. loves Chalmers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But one of the things that Chalmers did was he went into um, into a major urban area and began preaching the gospel. And what he realized was these folks have have been separated from the ability to provide from the for themselves. Um, and uh, but as they were becoming Christians, they were starting to say, "Oh, but I've got a responsibility. What can I do?" Mm. And um, they their their church developed a whole way to help people build garden boxes for their apartments and and build uh build the ability to grow um some food again but also grow flowers and kind of reconnect with their own um with their their self dignity um mm. by giving them even a way to work what little thing what little thing they had to work it productively right so they uh, began providing uh, wood the and helping people build garden boxes bringing soil to the pets of the people living in the apartment complexes so that they could have their own uh, you know to start little gardens outside that for them to it, it was a, a a way of saying you still have the dignity of adam mm-hmm. you you even though you live in an apartment and are in the middle of an urban area and you're struggling to get by you actually 
objectively still have the dignity of Adam and let us help you rediscover it. Right. So their, and their ministry, um, their, their evangelistic ministry was incredibly effective, but a big part of it was insisting to, that these people that were being treated without dignity by the companies, by the factories, that they were going to treat, they were going to get treated with dignity at church. And so people would line, you know, they were ready to be, they, they were attracted to a church that said, look, you do have dignity the, and, you know, factory work is hard, um, but you're, you're not replaceable, expendable. Um, you, you, you actually do eat a factory doesn't mean you're a cog. Um, you know, that's, and so yeah. it's, it's a, it was a really, and it was actually George Grant's lecture series on Thomas Chalmers that, uh, that where I found all of this, stuff and when got the works of Chalmers they're really fun to read the works of Chalmers see you always do this every show I gotta go buy some more books he's got he 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 actually so one of the things that he would do this is what I find this is one of the things that fascinates me about Chalmers as he started teaching just free university level classes so um, teaching teaching anybody who wanted to to read so a lot of adults that was one of the things that rural folks tended to know how to read. One of the things that was lost in urbanization was literacy. Um, Whoa. Because you were separated from, you were separated from your parents, grandparents, you know, and the, and the, the family libraries, you know, the, um, the, the neighbors that had books. Wait, wait, hold that on. That sort of thing. Wait, wait, that, that doesn't seem right. It would seem like in an urbanization, these things would be more common than less common. They, they are now, but it was because Christians started realizing, oh man, you don't have a family library. We better start city libraries. We better start church libraries. We, we better make sure that books are available. And so literacy, there was a huge push to get the, um, the early 1900s, there was a big push to get the cities literate again. Um, so, because it was like a 98% literacy rate in America before urbanization. Wait, um, what? And we still haven't recovered it. Yeah, we still haven't gotten back to the literacy rates, pre-urbanization literacy rates. The way so, the way that they talk about this, and the way that they make you think, is that you people are just now becoming more literate in like we for never the first lost, time yeah, for the first time yeah, in American history. <laughs> it's, it's I mean, it's like them coming along and saying, you know. Um, we're going to start giving you a two day weekend in the, in the history of the world. Nobody's ever had that. And then you read about the middle ages and you realize they only work 200 days a year because they had so many days off to celebrate the, the church calendar. Right. Yeah. So that they, they worked far less total hours in the year than we do. Hey, Jason, can um, you do, I want they had a, can, you talked about this last, uh, you just brought up something. I just want to make sure we, I want to put like a um, a check mark around in a circle. Is can we talk about church calendar? We've we've like that's yeah. That'd be really I would fun. love to. That's, I'm super passionate about the church calendar and love would love to. The, the, I, so yeah, and because ahead. I think it's freedom. The church calendar is what is the it, it is the gift for free people for a for a free people to have multiple calendars that are layered on top of one another. Right. So you, cause they always had a civic calendar also, right? And we have a civic calendar, but our civic calendar is our only calendar, right? And so 
to have a civic calendar and then lay it on top of your civic calendar, a church calendar, and be able to say, like, I know that the civic calendar isn't it doesn't give me a day off here, but I'm taking one anyway because I'm free. And the church calendar it says I should take a day off to celebrate here. Because, um, right, I mean, right now, if if the civil government tried to take Christmas off the calendar, a lot of people would go along with it. Banks would just say, well, we got to stay open. It's not a bank holiday anymore because the government gives us bank holidays, right? That You know that would happen if oh, they tried yeah. to take Christmas away. If, a lot of Christians even would say, well, Romans 13 tells us that we got to They've go legalized gay marriage. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Of course they would. So, yeah. So, um, so, but when that happens, a free people says, mm, but I've got other calendars, your the the government's calendar is not my only calendar. I'm not. This was your problem with Juneteenth. This was that was your issue with Juneteenth. Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about, right? This is why I would just was like, kick the government in the crotch and ignore them. They don't give you Juneteenth. Right. That's what uh, right. <laughs> you are, free people. Yeah. We celebrate what we want to celebrate. We take the days off we want to take off. We're a free people. We are not people that wait around for the government to give us holidays. Mm. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> Say that. It makes me so mad. So, so but, <laughs> you, you were talking about um, – I, I don't want to interrupt your thought. Were you going to finish anything on that? Okay. Well, no, just, it, just I think that there's – the church calendar is a dignity-giving um, – is, is one of the dignity giving gifts that the church has said, Hey, the government, you, you're a free, you are a free people. Here is a, a whole nother calendar that is voluntary, right? That you, it's, it's a voluntary calendar. You get to pick the days you want. And, um, and the, at the height of the middle ages, when the church was most powerful, um, people were, were incredibly free. To they to to work or not work, take days off, work extra, work less. You know, they would have days off where everybody would gather at the church and just work on the construction of the building. Um, mm. And they're not getting paid for that. They're just they have a giant picnic. Everybody brings food and everybody works on the church building. And everybody in town takes the day off in order to go work on the church building, which is part of the spiritual inheritance of their people. You know, it's a, it's a different mindset. It's a, a freedom loving mindset that we're so far from because we don't have a cosmology in which freedom has a place, um, in which freedom is a blessing. Freedom is a good thing. Um, Only we, slavery. Uh, yes. Well, I mean, think of if you had in physics, a free radical is a problem. That's what causes cancer, right? A free radical uh, is he is the is um, in a, in a mechanistic universe. A free radical is a uh, is is destructive, only destructive. Right? Um, it, the in an organic um, in an organic or a spiritual understanding of the cosmos. Um, the freedom for a, a seed to blow means more life, right? The seed that blows over the fence, uh, it means that the other side of the fence is going to have more life as well. But in, in physics or in machines, freedom is a curse. And that's why, I mean, that's why Nietzsche said all you've got to do is change the cosmology and people will find atheism on their own. 
And that's what you had. I mean, that's the reason Marxism was so attractive, was the cosmology had already shifted and changed into a physics-based, mechanistic understanding of the universe. Well, and you see that argument, and this is kind of where I wanted to go today, that argument of freedom being a curse, I think contributed to the workers' unions and um, mm-hmm. that whole time, early you know, 20s, 40s era, that within that area, especially what we're going to talk about today with, you know, in the 40s with Walt Disney, because of the freedom of companies and their ability to um, uh, not have any regulations, they oppressed a lot of people, treated people unfairly, and so all of that freedom was to be, needed to be cinched a little bit with workers unions and a group of people um, th- to organize around putting pressure against their companies because they were being mistreated. Right. And so you saw communists find this discrepancy between workers and their bosses and said, hey, we can use this to capitalize because we can't take over America. It's not working. Communism isn't working fast enough or hard enough to take over America. But if we can get in there and put this, take this animosity between workers and their bosses, um, we can actually get the kind of culture we want to grow there in America. And so what they started to do, and you, you see this in the story of Walt Disney. We talked a little bit about this before. But you see them coming in to to Disney through these worker unions, not just Disney, but all of America was through these unions. And um, what was what was the guy's name? Sorrell Herb, uh, Herbert K. Sorrell was it? That was the um, union leader, I think, that was kind of fighting with Walt at the time. I think that's what his name was. Um, yeah, I think so. And and you know he's able to get a handle on. Or try to get a handle on Disney through the employees, and it seemed like Walt was willing to let the them unionize there until one of the employees came to him and said, "Hey, I don't think this is going to be good for us. We need you to stand up and to make a vote so that you can see that we don't all want to do this." But because they had a small fraction yeah. that was speaking up, he Walt's like, "Okay," and he had, you know, he had to be careful what he could say, couldn't say about wages and stuff to this individual. But he at least had a vote, and when he put it to vote, he realized that the majority of his employees really didn't want that. And there was a small fac- fraction, I think, what was it? A small faction what was it, about three hundred people, yeah. I think, out of his twelve hundred, thirteen hundred employees. Yeah. Because he wasn't mistreating his employees, right? He wasn't. That was the yeah. thing. Yeah. It was yeah. jealousy, yeah. right? He would. Right. Well, and it was that it was actually a um, that particular union was actually a communist front too, right? So, um, and a lot of the people were like, "No, do you, Walt? Do you understand what's behind this?" And he didn't originally because he was the, the kind of guy that was like, "Well, I'm trying. I if I'm not paying my employees enough, I want to treat them well." Their family, yeah. I want to treat him well, right? So if that's what's going on, then, hey, let's talk about it. And then when his employees came and said, do you understand what's going on? What's at stake? This is going to this is gonna wreck what we've got, and it's going well, and it's a communist front. And he didn't – and then, so when he looked into it, he was like, whoa, and then found out that it, that was going on everywhere in Hollywood. It wasn't just at Disney, but that – 
um, that communism was the communists uh, were were explicitly going after the media um, and you know Disney was was one of the most popular influential media moguls at the time I, I you didn't have the same kind of major mogul medias that you do now but why was Disney important? he was a major player because it was telling the stories of the kids so yeah um, I think I'm trying to remember his um uh, Yuri Bezmanov, you, you know who that guy is? Have you heard about him yet? No. He defected uh-uh. from the KGB. He was um, somewhat of a journalist. He, he worked for the KGB in 1984, 87. He does this interview and he says, "Listen, the the KGB, KGB, um, it, they want, they have this idea called ideological subversion. You are in, it's a, it's their form of cold war because they can't." take over everything through a hot war it doesn't work this it, you don't get the kind of yeah. thing that you want so they want so they go to warfare on your ideology and in ideological subversion it has four parts to it the first part is de- demoralize right and so and he not demoralizing like make you feel bad no 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 completely destroy yeah. your moral foundations and background of what you hold right. to and one of the things the way they do this is they spend time in education in storytelling he's like they just want to pick apart the things that hold together your foundational american culture which is mainly christian and they want to use um stories and other um forms of entertainment to take away and pick at the moral foundation, not completely destroy, but to say, eh, is there anything yeah. wrong with, you know, a, your dad looking at porn? Is there anything wrong with your dad, um, you know, holding hands with another woman, going on dates? Is, you know, is it, ah, it's kind of bad. I don't know. And then eventually, is there yeah. wrong with your, with being gay? Is there anything wrong with, you know, two women? And then they just move it in slowly. They pick at it. And they do this process over 20 years. He says it takes 20 years to go through this full process. And when you do that, he's like, you've got three generations roughly. You've touched three generations in this 20 years. And so it's uh, demoralize, destabilize, create a crisis, and then normalize. And destabilization, yeah. he's like, it just takes like a couple years to destabilize something. Right. It's like after you got demoralization, destabilization means nothing works for you anymore. And so there, there's yeah. nothing that you can trust in any kind of way. And then the last thing is because of that, you have a crisis. And so you create a crisis. And so when you have a crisis, what do you cry out for? A savior. When you cry yeah. out for the savior to fix all the problems, he comes in with a new normal and he normalizes the whole process to this new world. And he can normally the, you the way you know it where it's going, and this is something that I've learned from you, Jason. You know the way it's it's going because of the moral imagination that's been shaped in the beginning. You know the way it's going because of the cosmology that they bring to a situation at the very start. You can already figure out what normalization is going to be. It's not going to be that hard to figure it out if you understand how this whole thing works. And so, going after Disney in that time in that era. They they were and he said in 1984, you know, he's like destabil denormalization de yeah um was it de uh, demoralization has already happened yeah demoralization has already happened in America he's like and yeah and the KGB would have never thought it would have been so magnificent as it is it's like whoa 
and it, it, what's incredible about it is the, um, when you look back and you, you see what was subsidized, like that, what, what kind of immorality was subsidized because it, and art was subsidized because it couldn't make money on its own. Um, <laughs> that's how you realize that that's where the work was, was done, right? Cause, um, work that reflects people's, you know, system back to them will be, will make money, right? Um, Mm. You have to subsidize something that is purposefully trying to undo what's going on. And that is where, um, you, you have a, a, the, uh, I mean, the university system has done a lot of the subsidization or has been the means of subsidization of things that nobody wants, but that de- that, that erode the moral imagination of the people. But people don't want it. But so you have to subsidize it, right? Because in a capitalist system, people want things um, that you, you, it's valuable to them, right? Like that's yeah, that are valuable to them, that add value to their lives. Okay, yeah. So, so to work with that, because this is what we were talking about last night. That I, you know, after watching Disney and his fight, so he created the MPA, the um, Motion Picture Association, and that group was designed to go after communists inside of Hollywood and you had John Wayne a part of it you had Ronald Reagan who was a part of it you had a lot of other filmmakers at the time and um, uh, authors that that were a part of this whole group they start seeing and they start finding there's this huge panel that was done by I can't remember who was it Congress Um, yeah yeah Congress puts together um, because so the, the McCarthy trials um are going on at the same time in congress so uh the you've got the mccarthy or mccarthy trials um combined with the the um you know the mpa trying to find within it's it's so it's a crazy story have to take half a step back because you've got the mpa is forming and saying Hey, there's some communists here in Hollywood. We got to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And they were right, right? It was true. They, they, they were onto something. There's a really funny, um, movie that the Cohen, uh, the, the Cohen brothers just made, um, with George Clooney about the communist inf- and it's a, it's like a, a, about the communist infiltration of Hollywood in the sixties. It's hilarious. Um, and, but, and so you have the communist infiltration happening and the MPA being formed to put a stop to it. Um, you also have the McCarthy trials going on. They have, and since the Verona papers have come out and shown, um, what was actually going on in the U S from the USSR side, we now know that McCarthy was right. Um, 97% of the people that he accused of communism were actually receiving orders from the USSR. So he was, there were, there were people sending communist spies in, giving them orders. They were there. There was a real actual communist conspiracy. McCarthy was putting his finger on it. They had cracked the code for the communication between the USSR and its spies, but they didn't want anyone to know. 
so they had um, just a couple of folks that knew the code that were constantly intercepting the um, transmissions and decoding them. But because they couldn't just come out and say we cracked the code or they'd changed the code, they had to um, they they had to they started using. Uh, the communists being identified within Hollywood as a way to get to the real communists that were actually causing problems within the government. So they would go in and say, give us names, right? And they would give us some names and they would, they would say, okay, get, you know, go to those people, give us names until they found the one that they knew was a real communist that they actually wanted um, so that they could get to them. And it looked like they were stumbling their way into the right people, so that they wouldn't uh, change the the secret code that they were using, which they didn't. The USSR used the same secret code until it fell. And so we had cracked that code and were um, basically reading all of their secret messages all that entire time. Um, I mean, we, until we finally, I mean, we finally ended up using our own spies to go in and destable the ruble um, so that the, the economics of the USSR were revealed to be um, basically on on sand and not real, so that Gorbachev would come to the table and talk. Right? It, we we ended up, be, but we we knew what they were doing, um, but we couldn't admit it, and so we had to catch their spies, quote unquote, on accident using the MPA. It's it's a brilliant. I'm the uh, blacklisted by history is is the book that that walks it all through. I mean, McCarthy was a national hero, like Nixon, right? And but we didn't we weren't ready to Nixon? admit it. And yeah, and the media has has gone after them over and over and over to sh- to try and basically sully their name and convince us that we should all look at them like enemies and heroes but really they were they were effectively fighting communism blacklisted by history the, but the communists yeah the communists had just infiltrated the media to the point that they could they could make McCarthy out to be the bad guy and they still do it i mean they'll still every once in a while hollywood will make a let's remind ourselves how bad of a person McCarthy was i mean um wasn't that long, and those movies all lose money because they're not good; they're just propaganda. But the I mean, Jim Carrey made one, they, and they make them regularly. Just try and remind us, McCarthy was bad, blacklisting people for. And, you know, none of them were real communists. There wasn't there wasn't a single communist in Hollywood. Those people are silly. <laughs> you know that was the thing. So going back and watching. Um, the commun there was a couple things that were interesting. It was because communism was such a thing that people. There was one of the guys in uh, as a Congress is going through their their trial or their their conversation with people, bringing them to the table. One guy says, "You know, I'm tempted to move to Texas because I'm pretty sure that if a communist was to admit they were communists in Texas, at least they'd shoot them." You know, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. there's a sentiment against communism that the culture had. And it wasn't a nice one. So that communists would not ever actually admit to being communists publicly. Right. It was a hidden behind. They were in the closet. And so you couldn't get yeah. them. They, they, they weren't easily identifiable where now we actually have a senator, um, a representative who is a communist. 
and he, he'll he's fine yeah. you know saying that he's fine with that he's fine with communism and he's actually you know in the place in america we can make law that's ridiculous you know that wouldn't have never been yeah. the case back in the day so my point is this it seems like walt disney um, before I say this, the, the way the communists worked where they would use people who wanted to achieve a particular goal like social justice warriors or other people mm-hmm. inside of the um, uh, labor unions who didn't have the money because people were still had a different kind of worldview and imagination. They, they didn't have any access to funds to be able to move their movement. The communists would give them money. And these guys would use communist money to help bring about communist ideas through their movements and not know what they were doing or knew what they were doing but didn't care because they would thought Yuri, right. Yuri Beznovov says that they thought that when this was all over and when this ended, they would be at the top of the food chain and they would be the ones in charge. Yeah. But the truth is that the communists would kill them. The communists would get them out. As soon as they were able to actually imp- implement any sort of real power, because those kind of people were the ones who would always end up fighting them at the end of the day because they yeah. thought that they would be in power. So the communists had to get rid of them. So they didn't know they were signing their own death warrants. But my point is this. Why was it that if storytelling, which is what Walt Disney did, has so much power and is able to influence such a culture why didn't it stand the test of time for Disney? Because Walt fought with the stories that he was making at the time. You talked about this a couple shows ago. Uh, it was the the Jungle Book was one of the ones, the last one that he worked on that he mm-hmm. made to push against the um, uh, was it communism? Uh, yeah, to, was well, yeah to push against the um, the dis- what he saw as the destruction of the. American family yeah, yeah. that communism was. Yeah, so so Disney is spending his time um, making stories of men coming to rescue women, princes, knights, um, damsels in distress, men rising up to come s- basically kill the dragon. You know this this lovely beautiful yeah. story, but this story since the beginning of time, and that's that's what Walt they, Disney starts telling a lot of these type of stories, and. Um, that communicated that but as soon as walt dies he was able to have some victory against the communists but it doesn't seem like that that's in his day, in yeah. his day. but it didn't stand the test of time it seems well a, a big part of it was because um communists had already won the education system right because they they got they they realized oh it was a double um, so are you it, yeah, Go ahead. Yeah. So, so they were they were fighting. They had started. They had a head start on him. Mm. Right. They they had realized what we need is to be the one training the next generation of teachers. Mm. So they went after the seminaries. They went after the the teachers colleges. They went after the university system um, and and said, it, give that a, give that a couple of generations. If we're the ones that are training the teachers, wow! Then um, they'll teach the next generation the cosmology that we want. And um, most of the time, what happened because McCarthy didn't have the support, uh, the broad support that he should have had. Most of the people that got kicked out of the government for being caught as a communist spy were hired in universities. 
Right. So they went over and became teachers of the next generation of teachers. So they, they got that it was a long game by the time while Disney realized what was going on, he was, it was a last stand situation. And, and, um, and America at this point, as we're finishing up Germany, we're bringing over their scientists and they're teaching and helping us, you know, get to the moon, right? <laughs> you know, they're helping. Right, yeah. We got a lot of them inside of our institutions as well. Yeah. And so the, the breakdown of the, the, um, I was just watching a Thomas Sowell, um, an old, an old Thomas Sowell video where he talks about, um, he just gives the statistics of before welfare, after welfare yeah. on the strength of the black family. Right. And he, he says the black family survived slavery. It survived Jim Crow. It survived all of this. What it didn't survive was welfare. Right. Um, and it's, a, it's, and I had seen it before, but it still shocks me every time. Right. The, um, and the reason I was looking at it was I was, I was looking at worldwide statistics of single parenthood and the, we're leading the way right now on single parent, you know, single parenthood. So, um, in, in the world, that's not a statistic you want to lead the way in. Um, so the, the family system was breaking down and Walt Disney was trying to put a finger in the dike to keep it from breaking, but nobody showed up in the morning, which is what makes that story of the, the, the Dutch boy that finds a hole in the dike and puts his finger in. In the morning, people show up to help and fix it. Nobody showed up to help Walt Disney. He screamed and yelled, Hey, there's a hole. Then he just, then there wasn't anybody to, so, um, backfill. Stu, you know, it's funny. I am, you know, you're saying something that's making me think everybody now, and this is weird because I haven't seen this over the last 15 years, but everybody now is saying, oh man, we got to start telling stories. All the conservatives now have moved from, hey, we got to have our own storytelling institution. Yeah. The Daily Wire is making their own movies now. They're still pretty woke and like they have no idea what they're doing with it, but they're at least making them, yeah. right? Um, yeah, but they're hopefully they get better every time yeah, and figure absolutely. out how. Well, no, no, no. Yeah. I don't think they can get better every time unless their cosmology changes. Their cosmology I, is I, rooted. I agree. Oh yeah, you, <laughs> but I'm trying, to, I'm trying to be hopeful and. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, no, we said I no, said don't it, be, no. Don't, don't be. be hopeful because the thing is, here's I don't want people to put their money into things that share cosmology with liberalism and leftism. And if yes. you share the same cosmology, you can hope for is all you want for a good ending. But we've already known from Walt Disney, if your cosmology is broken, yeah. you're only going to go one way. You know, and so yeah, but there, but there are folks over there that are moving in the right direction at the Daily Wire. Yes, but right? but there are they're going to come in a conflict. So, hey, did I send you the Russell Brand interview with Ben Shapiro? You've told me about Ever? it. Ever? You've told me it about so it. So good. Russell Brand is a great interviewer. I think he's one of the best out there right now. Mm. Um, he well, thanks. Thanks. Very. You're welcome. There's very little I agree with him about. He is fantastic um, in terms of his conclusions, but he's so skilled as an interviewer. He gets Ben Shapiro to explain things about Ben Shapiro that that I that should shock Christians into saying, nah. "Wait a second, is he on our side or not?" 
he might not be on our side. Not, um, not because he's not a conservative, because I think he is a, he's not like a secret woke liberal or something, but he's, he is an enlightenment Jew, um, after the order of Mamamides, who was, uh, a, an enlightenment Jewish philosopher, uh, along the lines of a, of like a Kant or, um, you know, he's kind of the, the Jewish, um, secularizer, right? So, um, w- now that we have accepted the enlightenment cosmology, what does Judaism look like? Right. Mm. So, he, he, so, right. So you can look at him and say, Oh, cause that's kind of what Kant is doing. Now that we understand what kind of modern, the, the enlightenment cosmos, can we rescue Christianity? And Kant gives a version, uh, a very destructive version of a post enlightenment Christianity. So proto, proto liberal, um, theologian, something like that. So, and, and Shapiro points to the Jewish version of that and says, that's where I sit. Right. So which we should look at him and say, oh, man, you might be a co-belligerent against things like trans uh, trans like uh, tyranny. But we're not fighting for the same thing. No. If that if that makes sense. I've heard him on plenty of Christian shows and none, none of them got to that route the way Russell Brand did. No, we had it was on our show. And he's, he's, he, I think he is a, he's a good dude trying to do well. Yeah. Trying, you know, trying to do good, but he doesn't have the cosmological underpinnings that point his feet in the same direction our feet are pointed at. We're, we're crossing, we're in the same place because we're crossing past one another. I think Russell Brand is naturally gifted with curiosity where a lot of mm-hmm. us really aren't. You know, <laughs> yeah. You know, there's we we, we yeah. don't care. We just yeah. need people to hear us. But so uh, we got there because of the storytelling and why I don't think that they're going to get it um, unless yeah. unless there's a, a cosmological shift inside of the Daily Wire, mainly from up top. Just watching the film that they've put out already, and watching the films that they have put out, even from the documentaries. There isn't a cosmology that there there isn't a cosmology forward at all. It's only a cosmology that slow drifts that way, and it shows from some of the movements that they're making, even with the people that they're trying to create this big tent setup that yeah that has a reciprocal feedback to the very thing that they're fighting against, (laughs) right? Yeah, and so I'm I'm excited. Go ahead. Well, I think that's why they're good at pointing out hypocrisy, but not good at pointing out how it ought to be. But they're trying. And so I, I, they're I, trying. I, yeah, I, I have absolutely. a lot of respect for their, them trying. And even with the razor brand, they're like, man, we got to have our own stuff. We got to have our own brands, you know, because we're getting yeah. canceled. But in this and Christians are looking at it and they're like, man, we need to be doing stuff like that, too. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like. You need to be creating goods and services that are valuable and worth something to people, not creating in, uh, goods and services that are subpar or just in as response. good as a form of virtue signaling. 
right? Yeah. And, and you got to yeah. create something that's, that's valuable. It's just us living in response. Then that's what we do, and that's why we lose and, over and over. And right. just a part of the thing that drives me nuts is I'm I'm levels removed from being able to compete on that stage yet, right? I know. <laughs> and it's dri- know. and so and I think we have we have this conversation privately. How like man, we we are slow. We are just slowly getting there but we have to build this thing right if we want people to bite on it right we if if we want to create yeah. the movies and the stories uh the poetry we have to get this thing right and so um i want to get to this the the thing that walt disney did he was too late because he didn't have a full-fledged approach and this is what i was bringing up with the daily wire while they are making these films and doing this the thing that they're not building is the foundation to undergird their films, if they were going the right direction and all that stuff was all, all things being equal, they don't have an educational system that is doing the um, moralizing so that the stories yeah. and the cosmology come together at the same time. And they got this top down, bottom up approach. Right. To to to, yeah. to grab this thing. And so what Walt Disney was missing was the educational institute that was already infiltrated um, he he, he yeah. thought that maybe that was there, but it wasn't. The the communists had already had that, and they were already working in it. So that by the time he's like, these stories should resonate. They're not resonating the way they need to, and the illiteracy. That's another part of this. If he's doing things that are when you broke down Jungle Book for me, I don't know how many people, and this is so weird, even understood the depth of this or how stories work or what they're supposed to do. Um, and how many people actually had an effect on because they didn't have a cosmology for it to work. Now, I know right. the stories yeah. still are supposed to do what they're supposed to do because that's what stories do. Right. They do. They still do but that's, work. Yeah. But we but but we don't think deeply. I mean, a lot of people have watched The Office, right, which is really well written and and well done. And it's funny. And we remember the jokes and things. But what we but but. The, the level of thought that is put into even a show like that, that looks that a lot of people think is like, oh, they're, they're like making up jokes as they go along. They aren't. They're just really good actors. There's almost nothing in there that's not written in advance. Um, but the, the level of detail to the thought and storytelling that they put into it is to the point where if you watch the interviews, um, you know, the, the, the head, the head interviews that they cut in and out of, it's really well done. The characters that don't have hope that they'll ever get out, they do all of those interviews facing in towards the building. Any character that has hope that they'll get out, they do their interview in front of a window facing out. <laughs> um, and so when you meet Pam, all of her interviews are inward facing when her and Jim get together, they switch where they do the interviews to their outward facing because her whole life has been changed by which man she's receiving love from her, her entire view of the, of the world has been shifted when she switches from being loved by Roy to being loved by Jim, mm. right? She has been freed from an internal prison they are thinking that deeply about their characters to the point where which direction they point the camera is changed by the internal 
state of the character. They're thinking all that 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 deeply. Christians, we we go and we we ask, what is not in it? Can I watch it based on what is not in it? That that's how deeply we think about storytelling. And so there's an end run being done, and we have no you know. Um, their, their linebackers are coming in and we, we forgot to bring in a tight end. You know? um, mm. So I, there's, there's this deep illiteracy in the church that comes from our pulpits, comes from our seminaries to tell you the truth, but it, it comes and then it, and then our pulpits are illiterate and then they're the ones that are supposed to be telling us what's in the text. Um, and then we don't ever learn to read. Uh, so there, the problem is is deep, and it's a multi generational solution to the problem. Um, that and then what we do is we just give up. <laughs> we say, and it's, some of that's our eschatology causes us to give up. We that we we li- we have an eschatology that tells us there's no hope. Um, and so then we're then we act like there's no hope. Well, and you know we st- so we don't do the work. Well, part of it is that we part of the reason we have no hope is because we really do see the death, right? So when you look at it, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, that's a long way down to start from, and they're already up there. How do I get right. up there from all the way down here from starting? And so I think part of what we do is we start grasping at that point and say the only way to get up yeah. there to that point is to take it from them. Right. Right. Trying to start. Yeah. When we look around and we're like, what am I doing in this pine box? And then we freak because we don't believe God raises the dead. Right. (laughs) When we we find it. And and, um, but and a big part of it is that is a cosmology that is a zero sum understanding of the world. Right. That if the only way for us to get some is to take it from somebody else and um, then we have to, you know, then it, it becomes a straight up fight for what there is. We can't build. We can't say, Oh shoot, we need, uh, we need a cathedral. Um, let's, who knows how to do concrete? Does anybody know how to do concrete? Let's start there. Let's pour some concrete. And then the next generation can frame and the next generation then can, can, uh, decorate, right? So we, we don't think that way because we think, Somebody took the only the, the only building there is. We better go take it back. You know, um, it, it makes me think, Jason, that we probably need to be a lot more patient with Christian films. Then, now I know that people are making a horrible Christian film. I get that, but yeah, we probably should have. I'm happy lot- to be patient. Yeah, with Christian films as long as they improve. And some of, you know, their filmmaking, like the, I think the Kendrick brothers have improved over time, oh, right? Yeah. You look yeah. at it and you say, oh, their movies are better than they used to be. Keep at it. And Alex Kendrick in a uh, interview recently, he's like, look, we're ordained pastors. Our job is to preach. And so I understand we're making sermon illustrations. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. He gets it. Yeah. He knows exactly what he's doing. Then he says, we need filmmakers that are not pastors that are not making sermon illustrations also. Yeah. Right. So he understands he, um, they're, I think they're doing a good job getting better every time. And, um, I think the Irwin brothers are also improving. I don't know if they're quite as self-aware as the Kendrick brothers, but they're improving in their craft and, you know, that's great. 
and um, and there are young Christian filmmakers too that are coming in and they're saying, okay, I've got to get started, and you want them to get better and better and better. And I mean, that's one of the reasons I got involved in lore was the um, to be able to fund the young filmmakers that are going to someday be great, you know, get them started with their feet pointing in the right direction. I, I just think about the fact that, you know, if you're going to learn how to use your staff, you're going to be out in the wilderness like Moses was. It's 40 years to learn how to wrangle sheep, yeah. walk in sheep poo and get it all in his toes. And then with a staff, how to grab them and hit them and bring them into, you know, submission. And then, you know, he had a lot of practice with that staff before he ever brought it before Pharaoh, you know, and yeah. and he didn't even know what God was doing until God called him. He's like, well, what's in your hand? That's what you're going to liberate. That's what you're going to liberate my people with. What's in your hand? And this yeah. whole time he's been using it and practicing with it. He didn't know that that was going to be the thing. And but he's getting better with it and he's practicing with it over and over day in, day out, you know. <clears throat> and so I, there's a part of me that uh, has a lot more grace for Christian filmmakers. The thing that I think needs to undergird that we need to have them developing those skills. But we also need to be thinking about what is it that's forming their worldview? So, I mean, and that's just kind of the stuff that you're talking about with with Walt. You know, he saw storytelling as a way to fight against communism. Right. Yeah. And well, as a way, to, I, I think as a way to hold the line against communism. So not even a really. I don't know if he would. Not, not even really like take back ground uh, because I don't think he, I don't think he even thought it would be possible to take back ground at that point, but he was trying to hold the line. Um, but he didn't end up surrounded by other people that said, okay, now there's enough of us. Let's charge back yet. Yeah, I mean, honestly, now we're getting to that point. And so, and, and a lot of those seeds were sown by Walt Disney, right? He's the, he sowed seeds um, that are really just coming to fruition now. And they have at different times, they've come to fruition. The problem is communist institutions know which smaller institutions to buy, right? They purchased mm. Pixar, when Pixar, they gonna be a the problem. They gonna be a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, so so there's a, and that's something that I don't. I think we definitely don't. We don't understand the economics of cultural warfare at all. Um, and communists have studied it. So oh, they're using our capitalism better than we are. <laughs> Although they may, they had lost a lot of money on Strange Worlds. That was terrible. So one of the things that I asked you, like when we were talking about this, it was like, okay, he put a finger in the dam. Nobody came because they had the education system. And, you know, one of the things that we were talking about is just like, okay, how do you, what, what, where do you start? What do you fight back? How do you take a people who are illiterate, use the tools to help form their moral imagination to become elit- to become literate and then to start engaging and finding back and not just um you know when i think of it, man there's so many things i want to say let me start here i was asking you about lord of the rings the new one on um what is what's the 
what's the new title? The Rings of Power. The Rings of Power. And I was like, so what was your take on it? And he's and you told me you said everybody is missing it because they're concerned about the world of orcs or you know or, or hobbits and everything like that. And they're missing the idea that uh, Tolkien hated egalitarianism. <laughs> yeah. And that's what made him write the story. It, it wasn't just like, oh, I'm just fascinated with this world. He was he hated egalitarianism and wanted to point out how bad it was for the society and the world. And so he wrote a story around that. And everybody it, is jumping around whether or not the characters are properly written in be- right. the reason yeah. that they're missing is because of the foundation of why he wrote it. Right. He, he, he egalitarianism. He just he saw it as an uh, an assault on reality, right? And he just he hated it. He just fundamentally hated it because it was an assault on reality, right? Because you can't glory in reality anymore if you have to flatten it, <laughs> right? That that it's gonna you're gonna steamroll nature um, in order to form it, in order to form it into the, the, what you want it to be. And you can't enjoy it anymore. You can't glory in it, anything like that. And, and, um, and I think that's the, 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 um, that egalitarianism is the great enemy of joy. Um, the, the great enemy of, of being able to rejoice in the Lord and, you know, um, embrace him as a king, um, and embrace the the world that you find, and and find the the good and the beauty and the truth in it, um, because you're going to impose coercively. Uh, you're going to have to impose egalitarianism coercively because it's you don't find it in reality. <laughs> so he went after it in literate literature and has done a lot to form the moral imagination. I mean, in, in John Milton, when Satan shows up to try and begin tempting Adam and Eve, he looks at Adam and Eve and he decides that the, the first thing that he needs to do is to show up in Eve's dream and form her imagination to the point where disobedience is even a possibility. So it begins, so the first attack that Satan has is an attack on the imagination of Eve. Because there's no way to get her to, so there's no way to just straight up get her to go disobey. Um, so this is book in book five. So in book four is when he actually goes into her dream. But in book five, you have this beautiful opening um, of book five. I'm getting it. Okay, go ahead. I'll I'll catch it. Okay. Uh, Now mourn her rosy steps in the eastern climb advancing, sowed the earth with orient pearl. When Adam waked, so customed for his sleep was airy light from pure digestion bread and temperate vapors bland, which the only sound of leaves and fuming rills, uh, aurora's fan, lightly dispersed, and the shrill matin song of birds on every bough, so much the more his wonder was to find unwakened Eve, with tresses discomposed and glowing cheek, 
as through unquiet rest, he on his side, leaning half-raised with looks of cordial love, hung over her enamored and beheld beauty, whether waking, uh, which whether waking or asleep shot forth peculiar graces. Right. So Adam wakes up and he slept really well because there's no sin yet. And so his body still works great. So he wakes up feeling completely rested and he rolls over up onto his elbow and he sees Eve with her hair kind of, um, you know, a little bit messy because she's been asleep and his, and her beauty strikes him and uh, opens him up to the grace of God, right? A a peculiar kind of grace that we learn in book eight, he hadn't experienced until he saw Eve, Mm. right? And so um, then with voice mild, as with Zephyrus on Flora breathes, her hand soft touching whispered thus, awake my fairest, my espoused, my latest found, heaven's last best gift, my ever new delight. Awake, the morning shines and the fresh field calls us. We lose the prime to mark how spring our tended plants, how blows the citron grove, what drops the myrrh and what the balmy reed, how nature paints her colors, how the bee sits on the bloom extracting liquid sweet. Now, when I teach this with high schoolers, I always say, Ladies, and they go, oh. <laughs> like, what if a, if a husband that just is enamored with me that much, he wants to wake me up because he's like, hey, it's a beautiful morning. You want to go experience it with me? Right? It's like this, this, this beautiful love. But now he's receiving grace by her presence, right? He, and, uh, and a grace, to, and, but, he can't wait to show her the beautiful morning and experience together. And so he wakes her up and says such whispering waked her, but with startled eye on Adam whom embracing thus she spake. So she kind of jolts awake and grabs Adam and he says, what's going on? And, um, he, and if you switch over, look over at, um, about line 50 uh, says, and uh, she starts telling him about this dream. Um, and as I wondering looked beside it stood one shaped and winged like one, one of those from heaven uh, by us often seen, right? An, an angel with dewy locks distilled ambrosia on that tree. He also gazed. So he, um, she says in her dream, an angel shows up at the tree that they were told that he told her not to eat at that. Adam said, God told us we can't eat there. Oh, fair plant said he, the angel with fruit surcharged deigns none to ease thy load and taste thy sweet, nor God, nor man is knowledge. So despised. So this is the beginning of the lie or envy or what reserve forbids to taste. Forbid who will, none shall from me withhold longer thy offered good. Why else set here? Right? So he says, why is it that we were told that you can't eat this? Is it because God doesn't want us to know something good? Or is it because God's envious of, of you, Eve? Right? And that's the lie that he sneaks in. Um, uh, it says, said, this said he, Pause not, but with venturous arm he plucked, he tasted me, damp horror, chilled at such bold words, vouched with a deed so bold. But he thus overjoyed, O fruit divine, sweet of thyself, but much more sweet thus cropped, forbidden here, it seemed, as only fit for gods, yet able to make gods of men. 
Right? So the devil goes after Eve's imagination first in a dream and set, and by faking a an angel coming and saying, God doesn't want you to have this kind of knowledge because he's envious of you, Eve. And then he eats it and nothing bad happens. And she says, oh, this fruit might make gods of men, right? May, might be. So the lie begins in her imagination, but it terrifies her when she first experiences it. So she wakes up and then um, Adam doesn't do a good job of guarding his wife and they separate and then, and the fall ends up happening, but that uh, it begins at what, uh, so, I mean, paradise lost is a fantasy. It's he, he doesn't think he's telling us what really happened, right? He writes a fantasy novel, a kind of a historical fantasy novel where, um, about the garden of Eden, but um, he does so in a way to try and help us recognize the, kinds of lies we tell ourselves and that the devil tells us. So it begins with a series of, of uh, speeches from demons and it's all the different ways that we convince ourselves that we should be able to be God, right? That people, and so we should be the ones in charge and not God. And as you're reading all the different demons give their speeches, the number of times, for me at least, that you go, oh, yeah, this one's making a lot of sense. Wait a second. This is the devil talking or this is Mammon talking or Beelzebub. Like, this is a bad guy. I've, but I've had that same thought. Um, he's showing that, uh, that the, way, the way our imagination is formed leads us to the way we act. Right? The, our self-justifications of our sins all begin in the imagination. And you wouldn't sin if you didn't already have a bent imagination. And so the devil goes after Eve through her imagination to begin with, to even make space for the possibility. Right, Because most people don't, wouldn't, I mean, that, like that suicide commercial, most people don't think, wow, suicide could be really a good option, a beautiful thing. But, and then you watch that commercial and they try to make suicide beautiful. Right? They try to show you that suicide can be beautiful. Now, they don't show her dead body rotting. They don't show her corpse. They don't show the realities of it. Um, they, what they show is her, the, all of the things that she imagines and tells us that death is going to be like. Right? Um, I, I remember talking to a guy who jumped off of a bridge and he's, <laughs> and, to try and kill himself. And he lived and he said, it only took about half a second to realize I had made the wrong choice. Mm. Right. Right. He stepped off the bridge. He had convinced himself it was the right choice. Half a second in, he was like, oops, wrong choice. And then he had broke both legs, but he lived. And so, um, him, the, so uh, if, if you told the story just up till that point and then, and then, you know, um, panned away to a, you know, to a beautiful geese flying away and, and then had music and that made you feel like this guy made the right choice. You could make suicide in the imagination of the watcher into something that began to feel beautiful. That's what they're trying to do because it's not in reality, right? Um, it's actually a horrific, 
horrific thing if you if you just tell the story from the perspective of the people that got left behind by the person that killed themselves then it it makes you not want to commit suicide because you look you see how ugly it is and that's one of the responsibilities of art and poetry is to show us how ugly sin is to show us how ugly death is that we should flee it um and and milton is trying to show the ways that sin and um, lies make themselves or trick us into thinking they're beautiful when they're actually not and then trying to give us a beautiful understanding of the the way that reality is supposed to be right um it, it, book eight is one of my favorite sections uh it, i think it's my i think book eight in paradise lost is my favorite um he and uh he has this great section where it's so Raphael, the angel Raphael is talking with, um, not Adam the Ninja Turtle and not the Ninja Turtle. No, the angel, he's talking, the angel, he's talking with Adam and, and, uh, he, and Adam, you know, asks him some questions and talks a little bit, uh, about Eve and, and then, um, he, and then, uh, he says, uh, to ask, this is uh, line 66. To ask or search, I blame thee not, for heaven is as the book of God before thee set, wherein to read his wondrous works and learn his seasons, hours or days or months or years. This to attain, whether heaven move or earth, is not important if thou reckon right. The rest from man or angel the great architect did wisely conceal and not divulge his secrets to be scanned by them who ought rather admire. Right now, so he's a, he's living through the Copernican revolution and, um, and Milton's the, the best educated person in the English language has read every book available and, uh, he has a, uh, he, he, he's reading the, the different tracts as they come out about whether or not the earth is the center um, or the sun is the center of the solar system. And he says, it's not actually that important, right? It's just, a. um, he he says, if you don't know how to rejoice and admire in your smallness compared to what God made, Mm. but your place in the universe, if you can't rejoice in accepting your place in the universe, um, if you can't rejoice in the beauty of this system that you don't control, uh, then it doesn't matter if the earth is the center or the sun is the center. You miss out on the most important part uh, of what it is. So um, he, so the, he goes on and he says, uh if they list to try conjecture, he, his fabric of the heavens, has left to their disputes, perhaps to move his laughter at their quaint opinions wide hereafter. When they come to model heaven and calculate the stars, how they will wield the mighty frame, how build, unbuild, contrive to save the appearances, how gird the sphere with, with centric and eccentric, scribbled o'er cycle and epicycle, Orb in orb, after all thy reasoning, this I guess, who art to lead thy offspring, and supposest that bodies bright and greater should not serve the less not bright, nor heaven such journeys run, 
earth sitting still when she alone receives the benefit. So it's this um, where he says, look, if you can, he he says, why is it that God made you so small and then the earth, the universe so big and then you so curious about how it works? He says, maybe it's because he's going to laugh. Right? He, he wants to laugh at all the different things we can, all, all of our cosmological conjectures about the nature of things and how it works. Right? He says, because you, you can't actually get to the point where you look up and you say, uh, I've plumbed the depths of the nature of things and I've got my head wrapped around the universe. Let me explain it to you all. He said, what we do is we come up with theories that he says, save the appearances, which is a, a which is a, um, it's a phrase from Plato that Aristotle and then Aquinas and Kant and Owen Barfield all pick up and use along the way to, to talk about the scientific, the, the scientific uh, mindset, which you're trying to describe what's going on in a way that you can predict the um, what's going to happen, right? That's what a science, science is trying to do. And he says, the best we can do is in, include as much of the phenomena, as much of the appearance that we can into our description of it. Um, but we can't actually plumb to the depths of the nature of reality. We haven't been given that ability. We are a part of this universe. We're not, we can't get objectively above it and look down and describe it all. We can only see it from our perspective and try to say, well, here's my theory right? Here's my hypothesis. Um, and then other people come along and say, oh yeah, that's, that matches all of the appearances. Everything that I see fits into that. Okay. We can work with that as long as it predicts, predicts something. Okay. Right? He understands the place of science um, is limited. And, but he says, and, but if you lose your ability to rejoice and admire God's work as, as a work of art, um, he says, then it's all useless to you anyway, right? That the point of it is to be able to rejoice and then raise your kids well in it, right? That's that's what he says right there in the middle of it, right? Um, is to be able to uh, to raise your kids well and have wisdom uh, to live well in the world that God made and not to be able to... Um, Look at it objectively, understand it, and you know, be God, be the God of the system. Um, it's funny as you're talking about that. I was thinking of, um, is it Peter Jones? Uh, Peter Jones, Oneism, Twoism. Um, oh you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking about that. Uh, part of what we feel like we have to do, and it's because the cosmology that I think we were under is we think we have to be able to have the same perspective as God in order to be able to have understanding from God, right? Because, and so what I mean by that is if we don't see it in total, like God sees it from the area he sees it, the position he sees it, then we can't have enjoyment of it. And it's like, no, 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 you are part of the created order, right? right? Order. Yeah. You're part. So your perspective it's not outside of the creative order. <laughs> it's inside of the creative order. W- with and here's one of the things that go ahead. With the lovely 
um, father giving you nuggets of information to see it in total, right? But it's not yeah. because you are in the same place. <laughs> You're in a different place. When, when you ask people, when you ask people to picture Earth. Almost everybody now that you talk to, instead of looking down and picturing the place where they stand or picturing the dirt that they've actually experienced, they will have a picture in their imagination in which they are standing, not on the planet, looking at it from the outside. The Mm. number of people that have actually seen the earth from that perspective is, 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 functionally zero mathematically zero right there's like you know 12 people in the entire planet that have seen it from that perspective that is the perspective that we all have in our imagination though so rather than saying um, rather than our picture of our home being from our perspective our picture of our home is from a a a perspective that almost nobody has experienced it's a very strange phenomena mm. you know, like if you ask somebody in the music. middle ages it's like the same way yeah exactly it. right if you ask somebody in the middle ages um what's what's earth like they're going to tell you how it smells how it feels in their hands they're going to tell you that what it looks like you know from the that they the places they've actually seen it they're not going to tell you it's a giant blue sphere that you know from the outside they're, they're going to give you their own perspective we have lost the ability to have our own perspective so jason which is go ahead which is which it, it, it so it's crazy that's why you know um so when he goes he goes on to describe his wife later in this chapter and it, it's i it's really amazing Go ahead. What were you going to say? What you just said is connecting so much. You said we have lost the ability to have our own perspective. That's exactly where we started from with all of this. It wasn't intended at all. It's like we don't have our own perspective on things anymore. And so this is why um, misinformation, the way that they have told you to think with COVID, the way that they tell you to think about ideas – um, man or women too. Uh, man can get pregnant. You know, it, it, it's this, it's all right. that is tied together in the same way that they view the world. This perspective will give you the perspective that you need yeah. to have. Because I, I had somebody tell me um, that they were from L.A. and they, I said, oh yeah, we're you know how's how are things down there right in the middle of COVID. And I, I said, oh yeah, I said it's pretty good up here. I mean, we're we're close enough to Idaho that there's still places you can go that are open. So we've been going over to Idaho for restaurants and stuff. And the person said, Idaho, are, I heard the bodies are like piling up in the streets up there. Oh yeah. I was like what? Yeah, for some things. So, like yeah, the death rate's so high that the bodies are like piling up in the streets because they're not shutting anything down. I was like, no, that's not true. <laughs> no, they're like, well, they did not believe that. How do you know? I was like. They did. I, I said, how do you, and they said, how do you know? I said, I've been there. I was, I, I was there two days ago. I, I've been to Idaho. It's not like that. And they're like, well, I don't know. That's what I heard. Like they couldn't take the perspective of somebody from the space. They didn't know, they didn't know how to do that. Right. And so it was very odd. Um, 
and this is why people are getting red pilled right now because the 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 ability people think that the ability is universal to to in uh, oh this was uh, the uh, I, oh, I now I can't remember where I read it it was a from somebody that had been uh, in in China under the communist regime there and then they had escaped to America they were talking about how one of the things that the communist party would do was they would say today everybody is going to call the sky green and if you wouldn't you would get tortured um, and they were like they and they what they said is they knew that the sky wasn't green but it was a way of testing whether or not you were receiving your reality from their authority or not and if you weren't then you needed to be re-educated until you would receive reality from their definition of and their authority right that is that is the government trying to be god obviously um but it's in a in a in that fundamentally in in a world that has no inherent nature received by a creator then you're always going to be looking for an authority to tell you what reality is right um so the uh, the when you read somebody like Milton, who is saying we receive reality, and he talks about the nature of things a lot, the nature of things that um, that that they have received. I mean, uh, the word universe, the second half of it, verse, is comes from the same root word from a verse of poetry, right? mm. that. The universe is, um, it's a united poem because it's the word of God, right? It's created by the word of God. Um, the, the, it, it receives its reality from God's word, right? And, and then the scriptures are also God's word, right? So God created with his word and his word is the thing that gives reality to the universe gives the nature to the different things. When he speaks um, Eve into existence, Eve receives her, her reality, or she was Isha when she was made. She, Isha receives her reality, her nature, from what God says she is because she's made of that word. Right? And so when Adam wakes up and looks at her, his responsibility to receive her by faith is to say the same things about her that God says. And when you have a marriage that's broken down into rivalry, what's one of the most difficult things is they start saying about one another, the husband and the wife say about one another things other than what God says about their spouse, right? Your job as a husband is to tell the wife who God says she is, right? right? That's your job is to build her up with your words to finish the construction project with your words Man. that were begun with God's word by saying the same words about her that God says mm. she is right. So this when, is not supposed to be a marriage down, and counseling. This is not. We. I don't even know how you got. Talk about other stuff. Go ahead. That's good. That's good. Go ahead. <laughs> so I think that I, um, you know, when you're dealing with people that are married that and it's broken down, it's a. The, it's a words can be so destructive because you're dealing with somebody made of words, right? 
it, so, um, when somebody's saying things about you that aren't true, right? Lies that are not what God says about you. It's really difficult to live in that environment, right? Because, and you have to double down on visiting with the, on spending time in the word of God, because it will tell you who you really are. Right. And there are times that you're in sin and you need to be told that. Um, but the word of God tells you in a building up way, and we need to speak to one another when we're in sin in a building up way, right? You come and you say, brother, sister, um, you know, this is when you did that, it was a sin. It was destructive. And God says, has something else for you. God, God, you know, there's a way to um, approach somebody in sin that they walk away saying, thank you. Or, I mean, there are times I've had uh, been confronted by someone and at the time been like, man, I don't see it. And then later you say, oh, my gosh, you were totally right. Um, and I knew I could go back to them and say, you were totally right. And they weren't going to condemn me. They were going to say, oh, I'm so glad. Right. I want to build you up. You know, I want I want to see you become who God has created you to be. And so you go back to them with the conviction because it's that's they're, they're a safe person to have conviction. With. Well, there's other people that, you know, you go back to and they're going to kick you when you're down and you don't want you don't want to be that guy. And, and part of, you know, part of the, the commandment, it, it, when, when you use the truth to beat someone up with, that's lying. That's not building that person yeah. up with words. You know, the, the, the Westminster Confession of Faith actually talks about that. Using words as a weapon is to lie about that person. Because words that we, right. when we use words, especially when we use God's word, we use the truth. The truth is actually there to build someone up, to bring them to true humanity. That's what the truth does. And so when we use the truth, we shouldn't use the truth in a way to tear people down. <laughs> and when we do that, we're using it improperly and we're lying about God and we're lying about the truth. And that's that's very problematic. We don't see that because our culture, our moral imagination is safe. You use the truth to beat people over the head with it. And actually, this this is why your book, Jason, this is book does not get enough praise on kindness. Your book on kindness is so, so, so important. And it's another Christian humanism book that's really quick to get through. But when you start going through that book, you realize that your disposition or your position towards people, the way that you view them, if it is not to build them up with truth, to be careful, careful with them, what does it look like for you should want somebody to come back to you and say, man, you were so patient with me, bro. Thank you for coming and telling me that I didn't see it at the time, but it was your attitude of love that I was able to say I can come back and repent. Because it was so – and I think about that now. I'm like, am I talking to people in such a way that they can smell the aroma that I have of love for them even in the rebuke? Right. Right? So that that, right. that, that softens their ability to come back and repent because you know it's going to be hard. But is there a way right. back, yeah. you know? Yeah, that, that if – that when death – when, when the the death arrives, do they say, "I remember where I smelled resurrection"? Yeah. It was with that guy's words. Yeah. But right? I want to go back there because, and I remember. Um, so it, one of my first pastors, I I, um, I remember him talking about, uh, you know, the youth pastor. So I was I was a youth intern, and they that a very evangelistic youth group and he said one of one of the jobs of the youth pastor is to be the person 
that when uh, that that the youth call when they're when they know they're in trouble. <laughs> right? Like you want to be the guy that when they say I, um, I like I, I'm throwing up drunk, like well, who should I talk to? Oh, I should probably I should probably call the youth pastor, yeah. right? It's like so they were very evangelistically focused youth group. Um, I hope your kids and, call, uh, call their fathers. I hope that you've been a kind of right, dad. But, like. but in, a, in an evangelistic youth group, one of the things that you find is is you're not going after the um, you're you're not interacting with the kids that have Christian parents. Right. So, um, you, the, <laughs> wait a second. <laughs> I don't know, Jason. It seems the way that most, no, that, that is, <laughs> that is the way, that is the way. Can I say this? That's the way Baptist youth groups work, right? They go winning back other people's kids. The problem <laughs> but, is, is that in a this was a Presbyterian the, the setting. Problem, and, the, the problem is, is that. We've all pushed our kids so far away that they all have to be evangelized because no one is doing yeah. their job. I mean, I've, I've, one of the that's, things that, that's totally true. And so that has to be but, a reality because a, of the, the, the normative it, nature of a parenthood isn't there. Yeah. And um, and the, and that's something that, though, that the church just needs to say, OK, I yes, ideally all of these people would go to their parents. What do the kids without parents do though? Right. Yeah. So there was a, there's a, a gentleman that I went to church with. He discipled me. He discipled a lot of my friends. Um, he, he was middle-aged lawyer, never got married, never felt called to be married and spent, has spent his entire life discipling the young men in the church that didn't have dads. Mm. It, mm. Probably 200 200, 250 young men didn't have dads, but had this guy. And he, he just, every Sunday night, he had, um, he had coffee and Bible study at his house with all of these, just, he called it guys group, all these young men that didn't have dads. And just for now, he's been doing it for 20 years. And, um, the number of men that I've met here in my town, who, when they say, well, the reason I am a functioning adult male raising kids in the faith is because of, of that man was my spiritual father, right? There's no doubt. Hundreds of, yeah, right? So um, he's had more sons having not had any children. He's had more sons than most men will ever have. And so um, yeah, I, that's, I, but that's what the church does, right? Yeah, that's that's but, when it's functioning well and that but that's when you know that your culture is broken when the church has to have yeah. that type of functionality as uh, uh operating in the sphere of family which praise god that we have that crutch there but this is what we were talking about earlier with the church also having to be judges so the church because of yeah. functioning society is not functioning how it should the church has to be Operating with the civil magistrate to birth out of it new civil magistrates and to be fathers to birth out of it new fathers, right? Um, yeah, and, absolutely. And, yep. and so, well, and that's the thing that you see that this guy's ministry has done, right? As now you've got all these dads raising their kids, discipling them the way he discipled these young men, right? So you've got hundreds of hundreds of grandkids, yeah, um, following the Lord. Because he 
didn't have children but discipled all these men into into fatherhood. So that one, I was for the first time, man. This we, this is a whole nother conversation. Our conversation gets so good right towards the end. Um, for the first time. <laughs> That I can remember, I couldn't. If you would have asked me before, I wouldn't be able to recall one scene. But I saw it's a wonderful life. This so movie night at Shannon House usually on Fridays, um, and so yeah. Black History Month we do um, black films. Um, Christmas we do Christmas films, and I'm trying to think of what, because of our family worship and we're going through Advent right now. We've out up until this point we've looked at the calendar very secular unintentionally, and so. We haven't had thought of summertime as um, as a Christmas season or, or, or a Christian season, right? We've thought of summertime as a time we don't yeah. do school, but we need to be thinking of the five festivals that are throughout half yeah. the year, and so that we start looking at our calendar and at our time of people who are bought by Christ that see summertime as a Christian holiday or a Christian seasons. To, to think through and to, yeah. to, to be grateful for. But one of the, so we watched A Wonderful Life. And I just brought that up to toss that in there. And one of the things that was really interesting and stark watching it was in the beginning, um, the boy, there's a little blasphemy in there, uh, <laughs> but with the talking and Joseph and all that stuff, we were like, whoa. Uh, but the boy is reading a magazine. And in the magazine, there's like a problem there that the magazine brings up. And it's like, well, what does this mean? And at the bottom line, it was like, go ask your dad because dad knows. You know, and, and it was really yeah. interesting because just that alone tells you that the newspaper, the author's knew that it wasn't their job to disciple children, whoever was reading their magazine, it was for fathers to to instruct them on what this problem was and this issue, and dad would know the answer. I don't think anybody um, would, really does that now, and it was really amazing. The only film that I thought that um, brought that kind of thinking to it, but it was very colored, was Mitchell's versus Machines. Yep. Yeah, that was it's a great movie. And they didn't do it. They, they did it accidentally, which is amazing. They didn't Absolutely even know they did. accidentally. And they just it just they looked at it and was like, this would make a great story because you can see there that. Um, I mean, I think there. I think the intention was to make that daughter a, a lesbian. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. Uh, they never really come out and say it, but it seems like that they are. But they're undercutting. They did. That they did come out the and story. Say it. At the end, did they end up saying it? At the very, very end, the cutscene. Uh, okay, I don't remember that. Yeah, they were. Oh, like, in a cutscene. Okay, I, I didn't even. I think, I think it was a, like a post-credit scene. Yeah, I think so because they're like, I can't wait for you and Julie to come back for Thanksgiving or something like that. We can't wait to meet Julie or something like that. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I'm, I must have. They were hinting at it with the, the button. They were hinting at it with like right. she doesn't fit in. I was, like, I was expecting it to. You know, to manifest at some point, but they just kept going back to the dad being a stud, and all of them at the beginning were like, you know "Dad, you're so silly." Yeah, and then he was right about everything. It was really great. And then the mom kind of flourished underneath him once she like accepted that he was right. Then she all of a sudden becomes this um, heroic character in her position as well. It's really. A great movie, and it makes me wonder: Did they add that other stuff in in order where because it came with the contract, you know, which happens um, where it's like, hey, these are the requirements, you know, to for to get this money, which happens unfortunately. Yeah, that's well, a- and it happens because communists understand how to use capitalism to destroy 
So to 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 pick yeah, then I'll get you on that rampage in just a second. How I know. how what is how does I want to make sure this is clear even for me though. How does Milton and understanding his his poetry at that point? Well, how how is that? Because I asked just like, what is the poetry to help you fight communism? And you're like Milton. You didn't even flinch. Like it was like oh it's Milton. Milton. yeah it's yeah. Milton. And I'm like oh, it is Milton. Why Milton? Why is Milton the first person that popped into your head? Was like okay you want to fight communism? You want to do it with literature and poetry? Milton is the guy. Yeah, because he he um, makes egalitarianism beautiful. I'm not egalitarianism. He makes uh, he fights egalitarianism by showing that um, a that um, man the opposite of egalitarianism. The when when um, <laughs> uh, you talking about uh, patriarchy or <laughs> yeah, I know you don't like that word. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't like that. I I like that word. I just don't like, like the way it's being use. used. But but right, uh, you know a. a, a um, an ordered society where you've got authority, uh, um, you've got heads and subjects within different covenants and within different authority hierarchy. structures. He make, hierarchy, yeah. He makes hierarchy beautiful uh, with his poetry because he just embraces it, rejoices in it, and is unashamed about it. Wait, wait. Right? Because he, he doesn't – he's not he's not embarrassed by hierarchy. So are um, you, And he's not – are you are you saying Go ahead. are you saying that communism wants to destroy hierarchy? It's egalitarian. Yes, communism is is fundament. It's a fundamentally egalitarian. So the, the you know in the old communist regimes, the things that they wanted to get rid of were the, the church calendar, right? So they would they switched it to a a ten day week instead of a seven day week. Um, you know, that, that sort of thing. They just, they, they had to get rid of the church calendar, um, in order to accomplish their goals, uh, because they were trying to show people that they were not, that, that freedom was a, a threat to, uh, their system. And then they got rid of, uh, uh, distinctions, right? They wanted to egalitarianize everything. So they had, they made everybody wear the same pants, men, women, children, you know, everybody had to wear the same pants. They trans right? it. So things like that. They transed it. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't, they weren't trying to say women are men. Now they were trying to say there is no difference. Right. Right. That there is. Yeah. So they, they wanted to get rid of any sort of um, hierarchical understanding of difference, egalitarianize everything. And um, what, what Milton does is unashamedly rejoices in the beauty of hierarchy, right? So within the angels, within the, um, within the Trinity, within the, uh, within the relationship between Adam and Eve, he just rejoices, enjoys and, and shows how beautiful hierarchy actually is when it's conformed to the realities of how God intended it. And it is not, um, an ontological, it's not an ontological hierarchy, it's all an economic hierarchy, and he just loves it, enjoys it. So this is Adam describing to Raphael when he first saw Eve. So she, Eve, heard me thus, and though divinely brought, yet innocence and virgin modesty, her virtue and the conscience and the consciousness uh, of her worth that would be wooed and not unsought be won. 
not obvious, not obtrusive, but retired, the more desirable. Or to say all, nature herself, though pure of sinful thought, wrought in her so that seeing me, she turned. Right? This is one of the most beautiful things about her is I had to win her. I had to go woo her. I had to get, she didn't come thinking, oh, Adam, perfect. Here I am, right? Saw her and said, mm, I don't know. I'm not even sure if I'm interested. Walks away and he was like, it was beautiful. I had to go win and woo this woman, right? For, from the start, right? We, without any sin involved, he, he rejoices in the fact that he still had to go he had to stand up straight, become a man, go win her, go woo her, um, so that that's not us. Uh, um, <laughs> this is my favorite passage in the whole thing. Um, uh, I followed her. She what was on her new and with obsequious majesty approved my pleaded reason mm. to the nuptial bower. I led her blushing like the morn, all heaven and happy constellations on that hour shed in their selectest influence. Now he, he still lives in a world where it's all connected, right? So he looks up and he sees the constellations and he says, this is all a part of our marriage marriage story right is what time of year is it the, the right the so it's the that it's he's basically noting the moment of what will become their anniversary which is going to be marked by the stars right so a wife wanting you to remember her anniversary that's not a that's not a problem right that's because it there's a fundamental connectedness between you your marriage and the story of all of history, right? And so, um, this is the, the, then he says, the earth gave sign of gratulation and each hill, joyous, the birds, fresh gales and gentle airs whispered it to the woods and from their wings flung rose, flung odors from the spicy shrub disporting till the amorous bird of night sung spousal and bid haste the evening star on his hilltop to light the bridal lamp. Thus I've told thee all my state and brought my story to the sum of earthly bliss, which I enjoy and must confess in all things else delight indeed, but such as used or not works in the mind, no change nor vehement desire. These delicacies, I mean of taste, sight, smell, herbs, fruits, and flowers walks and the melody of birds. But here far otherwise transported. I behold transported touch here. Passion. First, I felt a commotion strange in all enjoyments else superior and unmoved here only weak against the charm of beauty's powerful glance or nature failed in me and left some part not proof enough such object to sustain right so he's describing his first encounter with eve and he's and his he realizes i'm for more than this there is not enough this is the greatest moment, but nature has failed to provide everything for me. Right? So he sees through Eve, he sees a window to, to what he's created for ultimately, which is beyond what's here in this moment. But it's in the embracing of the, the, the joy of this new experience of being in love, of the love being returned by Eve, the, and then the consummation of it. He realizes the limitations, because this is the, the greatest moment, is beyond what he could have imagined um, that God provided to him. And it makes him think, 
there must be something beyond nature that is my ultimate fulfillment, right? He realizes I must be made for God if, <laughs> um, because it does, it, it, it's a, a, it's really amazing. Um, and then, and this is where, um, he says, in all these enjoyments, else superior and unmoved, here only weak against the charms of beauty's powerful glance. Or nature failed in me and left some part not proof enough such object to sustain. Or from my side, subducting, right from his rib, took perhaps more than enough, at least on her, bestowed too much of ornament in outward show, elaborate, of inward less exact for well I understood in the prime end of, of nature her the inferior in the mind and inward faculties with most which most excel in outward also her resembling less his image who made both and less expressing the character of that dominion given over other creatures he says and as I think about it she was pulled from my side she was created incredibly beautiful I'm the one that God has already taught things. She doesn't know any of them yet. And then he says, and she's not strong. She's weak. She can't force her dominion on the creatures around her the way I can. Right. So he's realizing he's seeing the differences uh, that he, by being created first and being taught directly by God. He's going to have to teach her not to eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. He's going to have to teach her how to garden because God taught him those things directly, but didn't teach her directly. And she's smaller, weaker, not as strong. She can't force her uh, will on other creatures the way he can. Right? He sees the differences between, and then he says, uh, um, yet when I approach her loveliness, so absolute, she seems in and of her, uh, in herself complete, so well to know her own that what she wills to do or say seems wisest, virtuous, discreetest, and best. Right? He says, but as I got to know her, I realized she was a well of wisdom. Right? That so I was stronger, but in her was this well of wisdom that God had given me. Now, remember, he has to go get her. He has to woo her. And then he has to teach her how to garden because God taught him directly. He has to teach her what to not eat the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. God taught her that directly. She doesn't know those things yet. And she's not as strong as him. Um, But she is a world in herself and a well of wisdom that he has to go plumb the depths of. It, it's an embrace of hierarchy and a glorying in hierarchy uh, and and showing the beauty of hierarchy and I, and there's there's not anything that does that now I mean I think the patriarchal um, movement has not yet figured out how to make hierarchy beautiful and desirable they know that it makes leftists mad but they have not yet said. Let me show you why it's so beautiful, why it's so glorious. They they take the function of it without the heart of it, and and they don't. I don't think mm-hmm. they're, they're intending to do that. Some of some of them do, and others yeah. don't. But I think this majority of them are, are saying we we. And, and here's the reason is because we know, and this, we see the fight of the left to destroy the institution, and when we see that, and the reason that the left wants to destroy the institution, because inherent in the institution, particularly that of marriage, is the beauty of it. And the beauty right. of that institution 
brings the love for all the things that we experience in human nature as it relates to individuals' relationships with each other. All of that comes from the institution of marriage. And so we see them want to go after the institution. And so what we do is become very institutionalized in defending it. Yeah. And, and we, go ahead. we live in response. Right. right, right? right, right we, right. we say we should protect this thing because they want to destroy it. And that's our reason. But we actually don't even know what the thing is. Now, I think they're right to want to protect it. Yeah. 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 That's why. You know, um, I, but I think that the protection of it, it's like the sacraments. It is actually, it's actually protecting us. We're not protecting it when it's functioning properly. I, I think Ooh. marriage Ooh. is beautiful and it, it protects us when we embrace it and enjoy it. Whereas, um, you know, when, when, when we simply, you know, feel like we need to protect it, uh, uh, things that are dead, rot things that are alive don't rot and so when we feel like we need to protect it from rot um we end up sort of mummifying it rather than actually protecting it you know jason i wrote down something during the election time and i started thinking about it a lot more and the reason I wrote it down was because it seemed like everything that we were using in our culture and society that we want to work, we don't have the access to truth about it to know that it's working for us. So we don't have access, real access to the election stuff to real be able to say that this was fair, that this was honest. We don't. Um, our government is covered and shrouded by so many different layers of of filth. We, we it's hard for us to dig through it. Honestly, and to know what's true and what's false, the social media platforms we operate with to communicate, they're hiding stuff from us. And and so we don't know what's working. For, we just don't know what's working for us in yeah. society. And it came to me that. So then when you don't know what's working for you, you got to go back to the basis of what actually works and work those things. And the thing that hit me was marriage works and you don't need a government mm-hmm. You don't need um, your state. You don't need anybody else but a covenant agreement between two people before God in the presence of others to make that work. And it, we know no matter what happens, rain, sleet, snow, come and go of economy, we know that marriage works. So work it. Right. Like work what you know that works. Children, they are arrows. They work. Yeah. Work it. Raise them. Yeah. When I think this is where that that difficulty is, we don't know how to have our own perspective. Well, and, and, and we, that, we need statistics right. to tell us that marriage is good, well, rather than being able to look at our marriage and saying, well, "No, what do you mean? How well, how would you question if this is good for society or not? Why do you need statistics to convince you that a mom and a dad loving each other, raising kids, is the best thing for kids?" We shouldn't need statistics, but we have so separated ourselves from our own perspective. Right? We are we are ghosts haunting our own lives rather than living them. And, and we need to just start loving our spouse. Exactly. <laughs> we don't, you know. So I bring, I said all that to say we don't need to spend all of our time trying to understand what in the world egalitarianism is. 
We need yeah. to have rightly ordered loves in the institutions that God has given us that work, that don't need some approval from the federal government or anybody else or any other social media experience yeah. to know. We need to have such a love for 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 the, for God and for the the institution of marriage and the, our wives and our children so that we create out of that the society that has the impact on the world. And we protect those things. We protect those things. You know, I have become far more upset than I've ever been out of watching men dress up like women and call themselves women. It, at first it was like, oh, that's gross. But then as I begin to think about this more, this is beyond gross. This is an all-out yeah. affront to destroy the very beautiful nature of women. And 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 and, and I love my wife. I love her dearly, right. and and because I love her, I am not willing to tolerate that in any form. And so it's it, and it's it's like um, I just saw uh, streamer Gothics. She's a Twitch streamer. She was talking about um, it was, it was she was saying she's a black woman streamer and she was watching a guy dress up like a girl and she said I feel about this way the same way I do about blackface. Finally, people are saying that. Right? Yeah, she was like, "This is a this is oh this is a man dressing like a woman. This is." The same thing that about blackface that makes me upset. I feel about watching this right now, right? and people are freaking out, right? They don't like it, and then other people are like, "I know, right?" It's like you're saying out loud what I'm experiencing too. This doesn't. This is just blackface for. I've been saying that women, for years. Women. Yeah, you have been right. Yeah, I'm so but, happy to hear um, it out there. Right, and and uh, and I think as a black woman saying it she can say this feels like an affront in the same way the blackface feels like an affront um and people say okay i you yeah um i feel that way watching it too where you just think you you have no idea the depths of femininity that my wife brings that you can never bring ever and it doesn't it ever it doesn't matter how long you wear a dress because a dress is not the thing that gives my wife the glory and the wisdom yeah. of her femininity. And there is a right now, and because of Kanye West, there's this huge push to acknowledge that the realities of the Holocaust and the the acknowledge the struggle of the Jewish people and to not demonize them and to make sure that we as a culture and a society do not um, belittle the fight that they had with Hitler and in Germany and that people in, in no way by anyone should be treated in that kind of manner. And we reject that as a society and it's an affront. And there's this um, massive push by everybody. I don't know what just happened to the back of my camera. I guess it just died on me. Um, but there's this huge push to make sure that um, – Society knows that we don't play about that. That's one of the, yeah. you, that's off limits. Just so you know, if you deny the Holocaust, if you deny the nature of a human being to be, and, and the fact that they should never be treated and enslaved like that and killed like that and be in any way by Hitler and taken over, 
That is absolutely wrong. And if you do that, we will reject you as a society. And I'm saying to myself, what about the very nature of a woman? If it's wrong to deny the Holocaust and to deny the nature of a human being to be treat to have to be treated like humans and not to be gathered around and put in um, containment camps and killed, if that's wrong, then how much more wrong is it to deny the very nature of a woman and the value that she brings to humanity? And to mock it and, and act as if it's, it's something that you can just put on and take off. And I mean, it, the and you get you don't get there without first devaluing the fact that she brings babies into the world. Right. Right. Abortion is all is just as much an attack on womanhood as as anything else to say, like, it's not that's not actually an incredibly valuable human thing, um, a human person um, <laughs> in your womb, uh, and that your womb is not a something to be protected at all costs, because it is. It should be something that is is a, a protected space, um, but but we don't we we value we we value power. We don't value. Glory, I, I, beauty, I, wisdom. I think uh, I'm taking this Christmas season to spend a little more extra. I'm trying to dig. Maybe we'll have this for another time, but I'll, I'll end with this. Um, really trying to focus this Christmas season on making a better Shannon household. Like just going everything I can to, you know, develop that create those loves and asking god for help to do that because i want my kids to love the beauties of our family because of the glory of god you know i i, I want them to see god has given us this, such this wonderful thing and i want their associations to everything in this world built around the covenant blessings of god in this family right i want i want i want them to see the beauties of god through what we have in our home and one of the things that I've noticed is how inept I am to do that. <laughs> like I'm still called to do it, but it's like looking at it and being like, oh, my goodness. Like we talked about earlier with that drop, like where do we start from? You know, and and, and the truth is you just got to start and you just yeah. you just got to you just you don't even think about how far the chasm is you, you have. You, don't, you just got to start. And because I'm able to look and see in truth how illiterate I am, the things that I don't have in place, the history that I'm still learning for the first time I told my wife, uh, I said, I told her last night, I said, for the first time, babe, in my 40 years on earth, um, I, I've uh, been able to look at what I was trying to grasp and understand in the first 40 years of my life and where I missed it at. And this is the first time in my life where I feel like, not just feel, where I know I get to map out the next 10 years of my life to say, what kind of man do you want to be? If God gives me another 10 years, and I live to be 50. I am intentionally saying, OK, this is the type of man that I want to be in the next 10 years, because I know how time works now in a way that I didn't know before. I know how people work. I have an understanding about the world. And I am going to intentionally map out the kind of human being that I want raising my kids and families and grandkids 
I want to make sure by the help of God that I build that type of man in my disciplines, in my thinking, in my operation, in my loving. I feel like now I'm capable of 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 thinking this through enough to build that type of human being. And and as like, you know, I hope that I can teach my children now to think in that and say, okay, daddy's been here. Let me help you craft out the next 10 years of your life so (laughs) you can not waste trying to figure out 30, 40 years of how to craft. I'm going to help you craft this type of human being over. Here's the things you're going to need to put in your toolbox to be this type of human. And and this helped me understand why men who think like this are probably at the peak of their life in their 50s. Because men sometimes are a little slower. I think we need to get to the workforce yeah. a lot faster. I think delaying men getting to the workforce delays their ability to think like this because some men now probably won't think like this until they're 50 or 60 uh, because of the way that we're ra- – maybe even later than that because of the way we're raising them. But I think yeah. we need to get men working as soon as possible as we can to give them education and train and work at the same time. I think it's super important. But um, – because now when you hit a certain age, you hit 50, the kind of person that you've created between 40 and 50 has experience and knowledge and, you know, I mean, what he can do and what he understands and how to operate makes him super efficient and effective in the next 30 years of his life, if God gives him that. But particularly from his 50s to his 60s, he can accomplish a massive amount of Benefit for the kingdom and for his family just by his understanding. He it's going to be super hard for him to do that without arrows, though. And that's the other side of yeah. this. It's like if you don't have children to be able to have the kind of impact and effect that you need to have at about the age of 50, at least right now in today's culture, it was a lot sooner previous cultures. Um, but to not have to have all that knowledge and all that wisdom to accumulate that without arrows to shoot in particular places. And if you haven't been discipling your arrows so that they're effective by the time you hit a certain age, then the very thing that you're trying to fight with politics and building these underground movements and that stuff ain't going to hold up because you don't have the people that have been discipled in a particular type of way to be effective in cultures and society. We are at the place where we need to replenish every aspect of our society with Christian culture, Christian minded people who love beauty, love life, love God, and then are willing to fight for it with their own hands to the death. You know, and you don't get that apart from a love for something. And right now, my biggest fear is that we're building our love around our nation and because we're building our love around our nation instead of around God, we'll lose our nation because the love is misplaced. If you build your love yeah. around the things of God and the institutions that God has given us, then what you'll get is a great nation. And you'll have people want to fight for their nation because the nation is submissive to um, to God and the, standard, and the family is undergirding that thing. And it's not at the top. It's at the bottom. And so anyway, I, right. that's random but it was just one of the things that out of all this even hearing you talk about milton and the love for the family and the the hate for egalitarianism it's like we need to learn to love the love things better 
You know, yeah. and, and that generates a natural disgust for the things that are opposed to this true reality, you know, and, and it undercuts the rivalry that uh, the world is trying to grow up between us, yeah. right? Trying to grow up a rivalry between men and women, trying to grow up a rivalry between between blacks and whites, trying to grow up a rivalry. Um, and, and it undercuts that rivalry to um you know, because that's good. that rivalry depends upon egalitarianism. That's good, Jason. Yeah, because then, you know, Walt Disney said, hey, listen, I believe in my company because there was a lot of rivalries there. And people were asking, why does he get the front yeah. parking spot and why does he get to be here? and Why does he get to sit there? And he's like, listen, I believe that anyone who works hard and gives their best and they succeed should ha- be praised for that and should be honored for that. And if you work hard and you do those things, you will have the front parking space and you will have. And I don't have a problem. I'm not respecter of person. But if you don't like that, he didn't say it like this, but he basically said, if you don't like the meritocracy environment that we're in, you don't have to be here. But we work based off of that environment. And so the hierarchy here is designed where you work hard, you get blessed. You don't work hard, you stay there, (laughs) you know. And and so and that's you know, that's. All of that, that hierarchy, they don't like, they didn't like the hierarchy there. And so you, cause you have broken families that are just littered all throughout there, you know? And so those loves aren't placed properly. Anyway, I'll let you have the last word. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I think that it's the, um, reality is created by God as something that is actually beautiful. Mm. Right. And, you know, um, trying to make so death, beautiful like we saw in that opening commercial um that's the enemy of all of this right trying to you're trying to say the enemy we can embrace the enemy in a beautiful way death is the enemy of reality death is the the principle that is now degrading reality around us that we as people empowered by the resurrection spirit resurrecting spirit of god have that have the resurrection power of of the spirit in our lives, we're fighting that death. We're rolling it back. We're the ones that push against it um, so that there's a space for the beauty of reality to Mm. flourish. Uh, And we have just lost sight of the importance of beauty, beauty and just finding how finding the 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 reality, beautiful, admiring uh, reality, enjoying and, and you know, cultivating it so that uh, people can all uh, the other people around us can also enjoy it. So this we've week, lost we've lost the vision, um, and uh, need to restore it in us and in our kids and in our churches. You know, one of the things that I think I was going to give you last week. This is a, the reason that this is such a long knock some plug is because you didn't get two <laughs> hours last week. And right, you might yeah. get some, we might be off Making a little bit for Christmas, it. and so this is I'm just gonna let it roll. But p- part of um, uh, what did you just the I said that and I'm totally lost my train of thought. Maybe it's time for us to go. Uh, <laughs> you you had just what did you just say at the end of that? It was uh, they were cultivating the a space for reality to be beautiful. Yeah, I lost the train of thought, but. Maybe it is time. If, if if that leaves, then it's just like oh, let's let's end. Uh, uh, oh, um, oh, yeah, I totally lost it. Oh well, guy didn't want me to say it. I guess there's, it there's, there's yeah. been there's been enough said already. It's like 
you know, hey. Um, next time, I want to let's talk about calendars. I think I've been fascinated yeah. with um, the. I was reading Doug's "Got Reshi Mary" and I've read it before, but everything hits different after. Man, since we've been talking and since I've been out in Moscow, eight years, nine years, going on nine years, it's taken that long for my moral imagination to be adjusted. Oh, that's what I was going to say. It's, it's taken that long for our moral imagination to be adjusted. But one of the things that's happened in in this, when you are when you've lost so much and you have to gain so much ground back and the task is super, super daunting. And it is. And I'm telling you, as somebody who's been through it and is still going through it. It's amazing to see, though, how much restoration God brings back and how fast you're able to get traction. How fast it comes, yeah. And so it's not like, oh, you know, it, we'll never get there to that amount of time, so what's the point in, in trying? No, it's what does it look like for people to repent and start engaging, and in the process of engaging, what if God doubles our efforts what if God triples our efforts? What if God lets us catch up in 15 years and we are on the top and the whole world looks different because of a little bit of faithfulness? And that's one of the things that people don't miss about with faith is like death and resurrect resurrection is impossible. Resurrection is impossible. And God does it. Yeah. Right. God does it all the time. <laughs> he does it all the time. And the, one of the things that I've I've seen is like if you're reading your Bibles and you're going through Chronicles and you see the destruction of Israel and this these people are coming back and everything's fallen and they got their enemies on top of them, about to take them over. The first thing that they redo the, the first thing they do is restore worship and they repent. And as they're sitting there praising and praying and repenting to God. He sends a force of angels to protect them and then to give them the spoils of their enemy so that they can yeah. rebuild. And it, it's not like whatever slave mentality that Israel had that they had to get off of them in the desert. They didn't leave out of Egypt broke. They right. left with the money to be able to build a nation because God was with, because God had given them the spoils of their enemies. And, and so we need to remember that when we're starting over, when we're starting a grill, we're trying to get this foundation, especially for people who, who are trying to, to get these disciplines of family worship and, oh man, I do need to get married running late on this. You know, do it. Just do it and, and have faith in God. And they used to say a word, see if God won't do something radical with you. You know what I mean? I used to love the old folks. See if God won't work on your behalf. I love that kind of language. Well, and I think that the when it comes to it, you know, getting getting um, traction has to do with friction. And the climbing climbing things that aren't real, it's really hard to get friction. But as soon as you find reality and you start to climb, it's like, oh, man, I'm making headway suddenly because I'm connecting my feet with reality. And there's a lot of friction there. There's a lot of friction there. At the same time, you find you find friction real quick. But when you're connected with reality, you make progress. That's so I'm going to do something because I know you need this because just to encourage you, Jason, uh, I feel like from time to time you need encouragement um, because I think and here's why. And I'm going to say this, but I think that um, when you have 
already been in, in the library for 20 years seeing that there's a problem with Christianity and you go in there and you come out and you're like, all right, let's fix the world. Oh my goodness, these people are stupid as all get out. Uh, where do you start from? Right, like, you know, yeah, I think there's been a challenge there for you to be like, how do we, how do we, how do we do this? And part of my argument with you is like, man, we're doing it. And, but it's moving. It is moving slow and we're not getting to the place we want. We want to be able to tell stories. You're working with lore. You're working with sound stages. We're, we're actually practicing what we're trying to do, but we still, um, it's hard to get our people to want to jump on board. And there's a small sect of people who understand. Um, but we have to build people up to get them to see just how important things are. But what I wanted to do was I wanted to ask people, this is like well into our show. No, seven people are probably listening right now at this point, and that's totally fine. Listen, if you're trying to figure out, if you listen to our podcast and you're like, oh, you know what? This is a long, long show. Just take it in bites. Take it every 30 minutes. Turn it off and come back. It's not like you have to charge through everything when you turn it on. Although those people who do salute to you. Um, but I would, I would love, um, Jason, what's the email that people could reach you at? Uh, Jason at lore.tv. I would love for people this Christmas, if you wanted to give us a Christmas present, I would love for people who have been listening to Knox Unplugged to send Jason an email. And I, here's what I want you to, to write in the email. If you could, where you were at when you started listening to Knox Unplugged and where you are now, and if Knox Unplugged with Jason Farley has been a blessing to you, how? Um, and I think uh, the reason I want to do that is because I have been extremely blessed from our conversations, and I was getting extremely blessed from our conversations before we ever started doing Knox Unplugged, just calling you and talking to you. This is our normal conversation on the phone, literally like yeah. two and a half hours. <laughs> and yep. um, and it's not hard to do that, and, and we'll be all over the place. And so I just finally said, you know, let's just record these, and let's just put them out. So – and whatever, but it, we've seen a lot of people listening, but we don't always hear from a lot of people. And so the, the first thing I want is just I want you guys to send Jason an encouraging email <laughs> for Christmas <laughs> to encourage his brother um, and just let him know kind of where you started and where you're at and kind of how it's been a blessing and or just to say, hi, I listen and I'm very grateful for you guys. That'd be that is just that's one thing. And the other thing is. If you listen, it is a huge blessing to us that you share the show. Like if you are on through yeah. the app, um, on Twitter, um, you, you got our Twitter tag, or at least mine. Jason didn't put his up. Um, I, yeah, I don't really go on Twitter yeah. or much social media. At all. Um, it would, it's, I know it seems simple, but just to share it carries a lot of equity. Um, and it gets the show out there. We we don't spend time promoting the show. We just do the show uh, because this would be a normal conversation anyway. And yet, yeah, um, it's grown exponentially. And it's really weird that this is, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we don't try. And and God's blessed it. But I would like for this as a Christmas present for Knox Unplugged to encourage Jason with the email. And if you could share the show on one of your social media platforms, that would be a huge blessing to us. Um, and an encouragement as well. Um, so there, you didn't know I was going to do that, Jason. Ta-da. No, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, cause I, I think since we're sitting here talking, the only person you see grow from this is me. And you're like, is anybody else? <laughs> 
I again, I'm a t- I don't care if nobody else. If you get like no emails, you know, I'll be like, I'm I don't care. We still got to do it because I need it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I hope I really do hope. I mean, you'll sometimes you don't see them, the messages and stuff like that. But I really do hope that that you know, like this is. Out of, I spend a lot of time going through content, listening to content, engaging news and media. And this for me is probably, you know, one of the most effective things in my line of work is having these conversations. And I'm so grateful for you and for the blessing that you are to me. Um, and all of that, you know, whether it's on Whitlock's show and whether it's on Cross Politic or whether it's on another show that I might be on, all that in some way or another um, is you have impacted and shifted and sculpted that to help me see things and engage with the things that are important and valuable instead of waste my time on things that are not like I, I love politics, but that to really engage in politics is to be a father to my children and to have a wonderful dinner table that's full of joy and full of thanksgiving and full of love and teaching my children to love God and to and to love their mom, right? And to love each other. And that is where we win politics at. Um and right. and I've always held that but I I'm seeing more and more how the details of what that looks like. And so this is uh a, so valuable for me. And I, anyway, I just, you know that, but I just wanted to tell you and, and do it over the show. And I want <laughs> I everybody else to, to be able to, yeah. to do the same thing. 